Yo. In a minute with Evan Lovick, brought to you by the good folks at Cerritos Auto Square. And listen to this. We have not one, but two special guests today, and they come together because they're married. This is an L.A. power couple. This is two Los Angeles American Dream stories under one roof. I'm talking about Letty and Jorge Paniche. Now, Letty, you know, she is the voice of Los Angeles mornings, the voice of Los Angeles commutes at Power 106. And along with her co-hosts, Rosecrans, Vic, and Duno, she has her own podcast, Brown Bag Mornings, that's wildly successful. Enough where they have live events and a road show, but she has an awesome story and is such a genuine, fun, good person. But her husband, Jorge, my God, this dude is awesome. I have so much fun talking with them, connecting with them. I could not wait to have them on because we're talking about a photographer, an entrepreneur, a brand manager, former road manager for Nipsey Hustle. So we get into all of that. And honestly, my favorite thing about this, this isn't just bootstrap. This is people who brought themselves up from adversity and from very humble beginnings to really achieve a lot right here in Los Angeles. I'm getting chills talking about this because these are two really good people that made it here in Los Angeles and worldwide. So I'm super excited for this episode. And you know we always have your one thing to do in LA this week. But it ain't coming from me this time. It's coming from Letty and Jorge. So this one is really fun. Stay tuned. Get your snacks. Get your drinks. We're going to be talking for a while. But this is a really fun interview. So check it out. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. Yo, so here they are in the flesh. Hola. L.A. power couple, Jorge <laughs> and Leti Paniche. Hi. Okay, now I got to tell you, I'm very excited about this mm -hmm. because these are two very impressive individuals who represent Los Angeles community, Los Angeles culture, and soon to be Los Angeles history as they will be etched in the immortal with the immortal names yep. of other people from Los Angeles with what they've accomplished. That's awesome. Quick, quick background, mm -hmm. okay? So let, let, let's do introductions, yeah. actually. Uh, Jorge, introduce yourself. I am Jorge Paniche, and I identify as a professional day laborer, <laughs> which means I wear many, many hats. Yes. And, you know, whatever it, it takes to get the job done, I do it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your accomplishments and why, why yeah. we're listening to this. Well, my focus and my lens specifically as a photographer has been focused on hip-hop music and the culture of hip-hops since 2005, 2006. Um, beginning of my career, I got to work with Game. Then I got to work with a slew of other artists, most notably Kendrick Lamar and the TDE camp. Um, Quincy White, who at the time went by the name Dub. And then um, probably what most people know me for is for my work with Nipsey from 2008 to 2019. So that that's the... And that's beyond. the and beyond, yes. And that's that's the photography component. I'm also a graphic artist. Um, I also consider myself an entrepreneur. Yes. So those are a couple of the things that I do. Very understated. Mm -hmm. uh, humble, by the way. Yeah. So I I'm going to add a little. I'm going to embellish that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Jorge is first. First of all, I want to say this. Our introduction when I first met, just first conversation, 
you could tell the intelligence and just ability to communicate and connect right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And Jorge's always been super genuine, which is something notable considering his impact and background. Yes, photographer, but we're talking in the vein of like, let's say an Esteban Oriol, mm -hmm. right? It's the photography, it's the impact, it's the influence from Kendrick Lamar to Nipsey, to Marathon brand, to all, and we were talking even before the show, he's got crypto NFT projects, but this is really like an entrepreneur in the spirit of Los Angeles and able to make an impact throughout the community with different elements of what he's accomplished. But I think that like Jorge the person is the most impressive part. And I'm going to get into that origin story mm -hmm. of where you came from and how you came, what you are. Because I think it's inspirational. And I think going into the future, I want people to know that like this is a roadmap that can be followed and what you've accomplished from the sense of like proud Angelinos into the future. Yeah. So that that's the Jorge Paniche story in a box. But we're going to dive into that. Letty, give me, yeah. give me yours. And just to like piggyback <clears throat> off of what you said, because he's very humble. Um, but I would say like a documentarian of the moment, yeah. you know, like being able to capture before I, I knew him. Clearly, I was a fan of him and his work. We both are in the hip hop realm and especially the same era. But you think of things that you see like a like Nipsey Hussle's early photos, early everything. That was before there was camera phones like that. That was that takes wherewithal and foresight. Like, hey, we need to capture your moments with your daughter. We need to capture your moments in the studio. We need to capture these moments that now, especially within the the people that are fans of Nipsey and LA rap and Los Angeles in general, they have those things to even look back on and they wouldn't had he not been there and had that type of a mindset, you know? So I always tell him that, like, even to this day, and I know we'll get into it a little bit later, they, he hoards everything from our children. And the number one thing he says is, like, no, this is the Smithsonian. It takes somebody to think of that, to know to document it, yeah. to, to then be able to have it in the future. By the way, I'm stealing this term from a friend of mine mm -hmm. named Najee in New York. He directs uh, music videos. He's a, a videographer as well, stuff like that. He says archivist instead Ooh. of hoarder. Yeah. Archivist. Like archivist. Remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You can say I'm that. somewhere <laughs> between Joe Jackson and an archivist. And oh somewhere, I live somewhere in between. <laughs> but, okay. and, and I don't know if I'm sorry to cut no. you off late, but I don't know if I mentioned this. Again, this is a burgeoning LA power couple. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's dope to have you guys both on together. Yeah. Because again, this is the beginning. Mm -hmm. You guys are both young mm -hmm. and have already accomplished and are already like impressive figures in Los Angeles. I, I just yeah. want to reestablish that. Sorry. Let no, continue. no worries. Yeah. This is our first like interview together, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Long that's overdue. Super cool. Super cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first of all, fan of your stuff. Oh, and it's re you. it's really cool to just be able to have this moment to to speak with you, and ah, I'm sure Jorge sure. is super excited about it too. I'm kicked up. Um, um, it's dope. What I would say I am is definitely a radio personality. I'm a radio nerd. I've loved radio since I was a little girl, um, and I've always wanted to be in radio. If you if you're driving down like, what's the freeway to come back to to like Burbank from downtown? One, like though, is it the one the, the one that gets all crazy if you go towards Pasadena? 134, one, no, right? No, 101. It's one of those that are leaving downtown, going towards the 5. 170, the 5, the 134, downtown. the 101. I downtown think it might have been the 101 or 110. Okay, it's one of those okay, okay. that has all of the, when you're passing by Dodger Stadium, it has all the tunnels. Yeah. Right? So that's else, the 110. One, yeah. Okay. The OG, so, that's the yeah. Arroyo Seco, the, the first freeway. Yeah, yeah. So 
you know how there's a bunch of tunnels there since i was a little girl i would hold my breath close my eyes and wish to be on the radio since i was little i wanted to do this right so that freeway was my like <gasps> okay i wish to be on power 106 on the radio i want to work with big boy and i would hold my breath the whole time who's to say that that would happen one two that i would get to work with someone who would be still around at the time and at Power 106, which to me was my local radio station. Yeah. It just so happens to be in Los Angeles. But growing up, you don't know that. So I always wanted to be in radio. And I always aspired to be on the radio. And I think that that's my biggest feat, that I actually accomplished something that as a little girl you dream of. There's so many kids that dream to be astronauts and firefighters. And these are great dreams. Yeah. But I have like kindergarten teachers like saying to me, you know, yours, your dream of the radio seemed more far-fetched than a NASA astronaut. And look, now you're the one doing it. So I think that's my, I would say that that's my proudest title besides mother and yeah. wife to be LA's radio personality on Power 106. Yeah, which is big time. Mm -hmm. 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. Yeah, every morning on Power 106. Um, and... I, I gotta know because radio is such a niche, mm -hmm. especially now. Yeah. But it's big. It's bigger than people realize, that right? Because I, I do work on KNX, which mm -hmm. is a news radio. But 1070. Yeah. Come on. Uh, FM. They want to go oh, yeah. KNX FM 97. one. KNX FM. That's right. Now but, you're my competition. But listen, when I grew up, mm -hmm. KNX 1070 news radio. But why radio? Mm -hmm. why, why was the dream to be on radio? What was it that captivated you? Know, you? I saw what it did in my home. Anytime, like, I was in the... And granted, like, we all come from different, like, upbringings. My personal upbringing with my mom and my dad in the home, it wasn't the best. Um, but I knew every time we were in the car, they were having a great time. My mom was laughing. She especially loved Rick Dees. And I remember like specific moment where Rick Dees was like paying someone's bills but yeah. while he was paying someone's bills he was also giving them like a word of advice it had to have been during the holidays and during but that person on the on the line started crying and my mom started crying but she was happy crying and she was just like in a sweet mood and to me I'm like I don't know what that is yeah but I want to do that I want to have that type of a connection because we've never met Rick Dees, but we know Rick Dees. Like that is is essentially a, a uncle growing up to us, a tío. Yeah. Uh, to see that Ricardo type of a power. Ricardo Diaz, by the way. <laughs> really? Yeah, his real name is Ricardo Diaz. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Oh my God. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Bro. But to see that type of an impact and connection off of a radio, you don't get that anywhere else. Like I do podcasts, I do other forms of of that type of a, a spoken word to people. Yeah. Nothing beats radio because they could call you right in. You know, they're they're tuning into you as soon as they get in their car. There's kids, there's families. Usually with the podcast, I'm doing it for self in my headphones. I'm not doing it in a group setting. You know, with the people in my car, my loved ones. So that is what initially drew me. Um, why not TV? Why not a movie star? Dang. You know, those are like more cliche yeah. dreams, if you will. Because my mom told me no. Uh, <laughs> you know, do, do you ever remember hearing those commercials of like, if you want to be on Disney Channel, call this number and then you could try out. They had those on the radio. And I remember calling, getting a, a like a... a an appointment and everything and my mom's like oh let the like they don't go to not not for nothing and i'm sure out of love but they didn't want me to get rejected they i wasn't the blonde hair blue eyed girl this is before selena gomez yeah. this is before girls yeah. that look like me were on tv like mm -hmm. that and i really wanted it but i think radio did something for me wow and it took the place of like what would be a tv aspiration okay and also i'm little i don't know i just felt like i never met the standard of what a tv 
person like, looks you like carve out yeah. your own niche. But, 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 but still, check, check out Tom Cruise. True, and you then know? you grow up and find out all actors are small. Movie, movie magic. Yeah. Ooh, that's, <laughs> you just gotta shoot from yeah. a lower angle and yeah. put a milk box. <laughs> Stupid. Okay, Jorge. Yes, sir. What were your dreams growing up? Like how? What led you to this path? Like I, I know this, and I want to establish this right away because I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. Your family, undocumented immigrants from Mexico City, yeah. correct? So I wanted to, before you even get in the dreams, actually, what you were two, I think you told me when when your family came to the United States. Is that correct? Yes. So you don't have many memories of very very that vague process. Very. What are your earliest kind of memories of that, and then how did that tie into it? what you ended up becoming okay um, hold on though because i want to fix this mic these are the good mics so you literally have to talk into them got it got it sm7b's my earliest oh, recollection yeah, <laughs> um some of my my memories i think are intermixed between stories that i've heard of the time and things That's that i actually brilliant. remember yeah. but um what i do remember is uh my dad having moved away um you know, kind of like to set roots. Yeah. A couple months. I don't, I don't know the exact time frame, but he moved out to the to Rosemead with my uncle and my aunt who lived in Rosemead, California, and just to set roots and was working for a company that distributed, sold and distributed um, Mexican movies, like Mexican VHS tapes. Wow. Yeah. And so that's what he was doing out in Hollywood. And um, as soon as things were a little bit stable and everything seemed like it was you know that there was some type of opportunity here for us to really like move out and the economic situation political situation in mexico was in enough turmoil for us to like have to you know inevitably move to to the u.s and move to la we made that move um with my mom and my sister who's nine years older than i am and um the the memories that i have of that time well, good, you know, it's living with my cousin, my cousin Jasmine, <laughs> my uncle Carlos, my tío Carlos, my tía Hani, and um, actually my friend, one of my good friends that I know to this day moved into the house um, right after we moved out. But um, what I do remember is only speaking Spanish at the time and getting dropped off at daycare like at two, two and a half or so, and um, just asking my mom, like, what are they saying? Because I didn't know what anybody was saying. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, but it was a it was a as much as if it was it, was, it could be could have been considered a curse. It was a gift because it was immersion, you know, <laughs> language immersion in its truest form. And I picked up. I feel like the language relatively quickly. Yeah, and I I would like to think you know that I manage both languages considerably well. You know, so I mean I, I always strive to speak Spanish just a tad bit better than I do English. But <laughs> you know. Smart. That, that could be argued that it's not the case. Right. What do you think, Letty? He's so good Spanish? at it. But Spanish? I'm also like a no sabo. So I'm oh. I'm very like, uh, how do you say uh, block or something in Spanish? Yeah. But he's, he's got it down. But oh. but for all intents and purposes, you know, a lot of my memories back at, back at home, Mexico City, they're, if they do live in my in my mind or my brain, it's probably uh, from from stories that were told. You know, or pictures that I've seen. But other than that, I mean, I was relatively young to remember. Okay, so take me to Rosemead then when you mm -hmm. start developing the memories and your inspiration, your your upbringing. Because look, you're focused, man. Like one thing I like about this man, every time I reach out, every time we communicate, he's getting right back. Mm -hmm. I mean, like there's a lot of flaky people. They're yeah. just, or people just forget. Everybody has a lot of shit to do. 
But you could just tell when you're dealing with somebody, I'm like, all right, this guy's on it. He's fucking focused. Yeah. He's organized. Like, you could just tell that mentally, you, you focus is the best word. So was that from a young age? And if so, like, what were you focused on? Where was your direction? When you were a kid, what do you remember being inspired by? And what were your goals? Okay, so after we, we moved out of that, we, we lived with my uncle and aunt in Rosemead, um, probably for about a year, if, if I'm not mistaken. Then we moved into a, a cul-de-sac of, of, of maybe, let me see, one, two, three, three, five homes. Four of those homes are one-bedroom homes, which is one of the ones that we lived in. And then there was one anomaly, like, towards the front that looked like an old ranch, and it probably had three homes. Okay. Uh, excuse me, three bedrooms. Um, but the property itself was very old, so much to the fact that there was, a, like, a, a bunch of undeveloped land behind, like, our home. Wow. So it was just, like, a big lot, which was actually absolutely amazing, you know, for a kid for because a kid. it's, like, it's like a huge playground of things you can you can do, build, skate ramps, uh um, you can ride your bikes. Um, build a. By the way, before screen time. Yeah. Oh no no yeah. no, we, oh, dude, man. You know, uh, play hide, era. play hide and seek. I mean, this property was the the not the home itself, but yeah. the area was relative was last of its kind. You yeah. know. Yeah. Now, if you visit that same that same um address now, it's a whole different ball game. <laughs> Huge homes and all types of other stuff that, you know, could have easily lived there at that point, but that's a whole other story. So in saying all of this, um, we were the only, at first, the only like uh, Mexican family in the, on the, like from Mexico, yeah. you know, on the block. Everyone else was Mexican. Was this still in Roseby? This okay, was still okay, in okay, Roseby. Okay. So maybe three or four minutes down the road from where we, where we originally moved into with my aunt and okay. uncle. And so all our neighbors were Mexican-American. So that was also like a learning experience too. Um, it was kind of like for uh, foreshadowing things that i would i think culturally things that i would identify with but i still was mexican you yeah. know but i was born in mexico and, and everything in my household was very much so traditionally mexican you know it was never like too much of adoption of other things granted there's obviously american culture that seeps into you know south of the border you know yeah. that's big like the beatles the bgs <laughs> you know certain yeah. artists uh, john lennon, i didn't even know that john lennon you yeah. know the things that lived in our home that's probably crazy. even okay. before we moved to to the states but um yeah i mean i was just so blessed with a lot of great neighbors um my adoption and my love and admiration for the culture of hip-hop came you know because of my neighbors you know listening to to rap music mm. um a lot of it also uh, a lot of things i adopted like my my love for oldies you know and listening to oldies music because very much so something very synonymous with chicano culture yeah yeah but really really in living in that in that um, <coughs> community in that cul-de-sac um got to make you know lifelong friends um got to see a lot of things unravel in life you know um one of one of my neighbors um used to drive 18 wheelers and he ended up getting in a serious accident got addicted to painkillers and then started selling you know some stuff and i remember we were the last home in the cul-de-sac and this was probably by the time i was mm, i'd probably say six or seven i remember a bunch of cars coming in and out you know the cul-de-sac mm -hmm. all the time and i just couldn't add it up to the point there was raids and all types of stuff and kind of get to see that stuff um but in terms of like being a kid, you know, like we got to do everything from tree houses to just regular clubhouses, you know, at at, at um, ground level. 
we got to build uh like ramps in the back in the back that back vacant area behind the homes yeah um which was really cool um we started multiple uh dry grass uh fires during fourth of july you know because we would uh burn crazy illegal fireworks um we used to blow up uh we used to modify the what are the the pistol or the whistling peats i forget the firework piccolo piccolo peats piccolo yeah we would modify the piccolo peats by hitting it with a hammer oh shit and it it would become like a like a stick of dynamite damn near i know that trick i remember the piccolo (laughs) peats i never and that same cul-de-sac we still we still it was kind of cool because we still got the experience of the elotero man you know we still got a food truck uh that will pull up with like uh like with conchas and mexican produce products you know to bring them in so you can just literally the store comes to you so that was really cool market on wheels we had the paletero paletero we'd buy like um um paletas from him and snacks and also get a a chip of dry ice so we can get like a so we can empty out a two liter bottle of, or have an empty two liter bottle of plastic and fill it up fill up the plastic bottle with a slice of dry ice and water shake it up and throw it and have that blow up so we did all the all the cool kid things that you know yeah. you're supposed to i feel kids should, should be doing um and then uh, just just uh jumping the fence from the property where we lived you know where it was gated um, just I would just jump the fence over to some apartments that were right over the fence, and um, they had a basketball court, so I would play basketball court with a lot of the guys that used to work at the Sriracha factory. Yeah, because they lived in the apartments. Yeah, and they right. they were dope. They were great guys. Um, but they stunk, man. It was because all of the garlic. Yeah, you know, working okay. in a in a in a, in a uh, chili factory, you know, yeah. like you're gonna start it. It just you permeates like out of your pores. Yeah, wow. smell like the ingredients, but. For all intents and purposes. By the way, hold on. That's significant. I want to stop there for a sec. Sriracha Factory. Again, proud Los Angeles Mm -hmm. American dream story, Sriracha. And that's in itself very cool that you were right there. And that's almost like kind of kismet. kismet. I sort of believe in that thing where, you know, like you're touched. Even even just the fact that you're playing basketball. It's not like you're touring the factory and be like, oh, gee, Mm -hmm. I want to grow up. And but. You know, and you don't probably didn't know as a kid that sriracha is going to be this big, important yeah. like, condiment, blah, blah, blah. But it's sort of one of the things that ended up just being in your background. Where it's like, oh, shit, he grew up right around the corner from the sriracha family factory, factory. before it really was like, like as that. significant it's as it was. So it's kind of like a little right. bit of magic dust sort of like sprinkled mm-hmm. on you. I just learned that, yeah. it, that jalapenos are used in sriracha. And I was like, wow, that's such a like that's a Mexican thing. And then they're in sriracha. But it, it made sense oh, to me. Cool. It, for, for us, it was always big because the area that we grew up yeah. in Rosemead at the time was probably uh, predominantly Latino and, um, and Asian. And Asian community. So yeah. it was in every household that I went to, whether it was my Latino homies or it was my Asian homies, it, yeah. I found it there. So it, it didn't seem like far-fetched for that to blossom into what it's blossomed to today, you know? Yeah. Um, but in terms of like aspirations and dreams or what things like I wanted to do when I was a kid, you know, I was always a big um, admirer of Steve Jobs, big admirer of technology. Even so, at a young age, huh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I was always like in awe of all of the uh, like massive breakthroughs that he, you know, he always had every in every conference. It was always something new and always something that, you know, like it, it, you were never like let down by Steve Jobs, by just the right. genius of him. Yeah. And so in saying all of that, uh, I 
I think I had aspirations of doing like compute. I feel like I had aspirations of doing com some type of computer science, and those aspirations died when I was in college, and I I found out that it required a ton of math mm -hmm. <laughs> and something that I didn't really excel in. Yeah. And then I also found out that a lot of those jobs were being outsourced, you know, to India. Yeah. You know, uh, where it's kind of part of the culture, and it's a it comes in at a, you know quality work at a fraction of the price. So I was like, I'm gonna kind of be entering a you know, um, a category or a career path that might not be suited for me. But as far as like going down the the rabbit hole of like documentarian, yeah, I think there was early indications of that um, when I, I, I took a career test in high school. And of all the things that, that could have came up, that's one of the things that, that came up through the test. So I guess it does work. Wait, really? That's yeah. cool. Really? There's that... Like historian. His yeah, historian yeah, documentarian. Like, no yeah, shit. That's cool huh? beans. That is. And yeah. then did the light bulb go off at that point? Or... No, no. I I, I think um, for me, um, I, th I, th I think in terms of like shooting photographs and documenting things, that was a, a byproduct of kind of like the era that I grew up in and, and uh, the advent of like digital like platforms like myspace and facebook yeah. and places where people can now share and also you know digital photography being a lot more accessible and cost effective yeah. you know to where now people take an unprecedented amount of photos and videos oh, and yes. document their life which some people you know have uh bad bad feelings about that like you don't just get to enjoy the moment but for me i i, I like it because it's like everything is documented and you yeah. can always kind of re revisit it later down the I've road. I've been going back and forth on that, right? Mm -hmm. So like in the era when people first started taking pictures, everything, you're like, dude, put the phone away, mm -hmm. bro. Like, yeah. lit. But then at the same time, those same people be showing you the pictures. You're like, oh, shit, I'm glad somebody captured yeah, that. I'm glad that. somebody documented mm -hmm. that. And it's so great to like celebrate and enjoy. Yeah. The one thing I do think about in my head is like soccer mom, soccer dads, uh, recital mom, recital dad. Hold the hold the uh, the smartphone horizontally. That's like his pet peeve. Like if you're holding the phone vertical, because yeah. you're doing it for Instagram or social media. Yeah. But like video is always going to be horizontal. Like At so, I always like flip my camera. Okay, or my so phone. explain to me this though, mm -hmm. because again. Because TikTok's not going to be around is. forever, but you know, like film and like home videos. Why is it? Why is it advantageous? You cover more? Is it? Is it because you I, get I like to cover? replay? I think it's preference, to be honest. No, I like I like to watch it back. Like you, you um, you play it back on the television or on your projector mm -hmm. with AirPlay. Yeah, they don't have and vertical get, TVs. What's they, that? They don't have vertical TVs. Yeah, you could, you could, yeah, you could pivot no. them. You could, they they have mounts for that, but it just does. It's not as to me. Like, would you sit through a whole movie? that's vertically that plays vertically or horizontally horizontally to me it just seems like the natural format you know for viewing mm -hmm. that's and so why it came out yeah. i also yeah. think about like going back to the smithsonian conversation and the documentaries of the boys that'll that'll you know come yeah. to fruition and manifest themselves i think about all the stuff that we shoot for them and it's like i hate to see like documentaries and you see the black bars to the left and right because mm. someone, someone shot it on their mm -hmm. on their iphone vertically. now the modern ones yeah vertically yeah. just a thought yeah, I will touch, I, and I don't mean to tell your story for you, but I feel like now, like, I could do your biography for sure. Uh, one point that he didn't touch on, and I think is really important, because he is an immigrant from another country, is how resourceful he had to be since he was young. He saw his dad hustle those movies. His mom would sell silk flowers. Saw that. And he would have to see, like, 
I got to get it on my own. Like when he starts getting into what job he has to do, he can't get a regular job because he doesn't have like, quote unquote, papers. So he has to hustle. He has to find resources. A camera is a resource, you know, like there's no of course you can get hired like on a nine to five to, to, to be a photographer. But those types of career paths, they let him be that mm-hmm. type of resourceful person. And I think that's what was something like big in your life, being able to make money, even if it wasn't like the the regular route people were making money. You yeah. Know? So picking up the camera wasn't with the express intent of being a documentarian. In yeah. fact, it was with uh, the intent of um, e-commerce, of practicing of you know joining the e-commerce space, and so big i've always been a big fan of basketball and yeah. one of the most polarizing figures which we argue in our household is my the michael versus mike versus kobe Uh-oh. you know that's Uh-oh. a that's a big divide in our household okay. and i'm a big michael jordan fan Ooh. um yeah and so in saying that um never was able to afford all the jordan sneakers you know growing up working class immigrant family and so i don't know what what popped into my head when the jordan 17s came out this must have been when i was like maybe four, 13, 14 years old, I naively asked my parents, like, hey, let's get, let's go down to Foot Locker and, and try on these uh, these Jordan 17s. The Jordan 17s were uh, when Michael Mike was playing on the Wizards and they came in a colorway that we weren't accustomed to seeing. We always saw the, you know, black, red, and white colorways from Mike when he was playing on the Bulls, and these were white and royal blue, you know, with an accent of, like, metallic gray. And they came in a case. And with the CD, I don't know what was on the CD, but I still don't know to this day. I got to get it. Just <laughs> to, dig it just out. Check somewhere, right? Yeah, I'm sure it's somewhere in your stores. Yeah. <laughs> so I go with my parents to Foot Locker, try on these sneakers, you know, bright eyed. I, I, you know, I strap them up and wow. I'm like, it's, it's, it's showtime. You know, yeah. it's, it's time. You know, it's time to go. These are it. We can check the price tag on them. Come to find out they're $200, which I know is commonplace now mm-hmm. in the sneaker market. But then it was like equivalent to now saying a sneaker is $500 or wow. $600. Yeah. And so my parents just gave me, broke it to me, you know, very clearly like, hey, we can't afford these. Um, it is what it is. So then my, my gear started turning and I was like, okay, well, I have to make money. I want to make money. But then I, I was thinking, well, what do I do? Where do, do I get like a part-time job? Where do I start here? That was my natural inclination. And at around this time, I remember, like, I already had, like, an inkling that I, I, we might have been undocumented or it might have been something different, you know, in terms of, like, our legal status in the country. But um, I think when I did men- make mention of a job or something to that effect, that's kind of when it uh, that conversation really uh, surfaced and kind of got a better grasp of what that all entailed, you know, which to me was not and by any means a death sentence. It was just like, all right, just an obstacle. Mm-hmm. Right. So can you tell me for a sec, what does that entail? What are the, the restrictions or for anybody that doesn't know? To be undocumented means, I mean, the biggest restriction and probably the most painful one is not being able to go back to your country of origin and then return back, back, return back to the yeah. States. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can always go back, but you just can't come back. <laughs> that, was, that's, that was always a joke of the family and I, you know. Um, so that's probably the most difficult, especially in moments where there's like, significant family moments you know that like weddings or or the passing of family members you know that you can't partake in those things that you know it's almost you you take for granted you know if your family does live here or your family you know or significant moments happen here yeah and you can you know partake in them so that's probably the most difficult one other one is like at the time um my sister who's nine years older than i am um 
maybe a year before she started college, um, people who were undocumented had to pay out-of-state out tuition. Wow. That's you know, so if it wasn't hard enough already, right. more than likely if you're undocumented, you know, uh, working class, it, be, it was even more far-fetched that once you get, you know, to your senior year and your friends or everyone, there's these conversations about what college are you going to, there's a very realistic possibility at, at the time there was for my sister that maybe you might not go to college because you can't afford it. Fortunately for her, that law changed to where you can pay in-state tuition um, when she started college. So that that was, you know, not an obstacle that I had to face. But those are those are a couple of things. Other than that, like, no, sir, no, no, yeah, no, you can't get like a traditional like um, job. Most of your jobs are under the table type of situations mm -hmm. or you have to become a resource when become an entrepreneur like my parents my dad you know uh, uh drove and uh, operated a, a lunch truck yeah. for uh, probably a, about a little shy of a decade um my mom sold silk flower arrangements um and then they worked several different you know odd jobs from my mom temp jobs to my dad uh do, doing parking lot striping to uh, the VHS uh, or yeah. the Mexican VHS movie sales at the beginning of of the journey here in the states, um, but there's there's just a ton of obstacles like insurance. insurance yeah, like you yeah. can get really. So his parents even they're they're undocumented currently and they work so much, but like they can't retire. They don't like they they get money taken from them to put towards retirement Ooh. and but since they don't, they're they're not, they're not there. they don't God get it. So they're gonna get older and they're not gonna be able to have it which is just very and it's just something that people that ha are of undocumented status is like oh this is the price i pay and it's unfortunate but it also comes with the being here you is know? that a motivation for you your parents maybe taking care of them oh absolutely like yeah absolutely i i we, we looked at a house in san marino that you know they had a back house a really nice sizable one mm -hmm. and i'm like look you guys can have your own independence but we're still living in, cl mm -hmm. in the same you know property close proximity and they didn't entertain the idea quite yet because they <laughs> like their own space mm -hmm. and they're like you guys have to have your own space we have to have our own space but who knows maybe that conversation changes maybe five or ten years yeah, down the road age. i don't know but yeah. father father time is undefeated but yeah. but we're lucky you know we have my um my father-in-law living with us you know we all live together so mm -hmm. that's beautiful to have and that's something that i i got to enjoy and partake with my okay. mom's mom my grandmother you know who lived with us for uh, some some period here and back in Rosemead. Okay, so you mentioned your father-in-law, Letty. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's your father. Yeah, my Correct? Dad. Okay, which is a good transition. I want to get into your background, mm -hmm. your origin story. Now, when I was on Power 106 yeah. with you, you told me you were from Glendale. Yeah, Glendale, California, what up? That kind of blew my mind. First of all, <laughs> my, my dad was yeah. born in Glendale, just oh, for the really? record. Yeah, just for the record. Adventist or Memorial? Didn't spend any time. Do I don't know? even know. It's oh, okay. 1951. <laughs> I, I don't know. My dad was weirdly private. He's so awesome with me, but mm -hmm. I know little, little. About, like a lot of this important stuff um what was glendale like yeah. growing up like you know and and honestly right. especially as a latina like people yeah. make certain assumptions about yeah. glendale, glendale so heavy armenian population yes. but i my armenian friends and how'd your family end up in glendale by uh way? you know what's crazy too so my my father is from guanajuato in mexico and apparently what you'll find with a lot of immigrant families coming from Mexico is I guess one of them comes and then they kind of like tell their, their pueblo or their little city or their little town, hey, in case you go, 
there's someone in this city and then that's kind of where they hub because what i noticed when i was growing up is i would meet people and friends in school and their dad knew my dad from back in the pueblo and it's because like they kind of just word gets around like hey if you're from guanajuato this area specifically like we're all moving to this spot in los angeles and you know what i thank my parents because it could have easily been east la it could have easily been uh south central and not that that's a bad thing but they made a conscious decision like we're gonna go to some off-site like maybe there's not too many of us there yeah because we kind of go towards where you're gonna know more people you're gonna speak the language a little bit more in these hubs right but glendale is very dominant in armenians and more so there was a lot of uh more caucasian americans there there was filipinos there it wasn't like the latino community wasn't as big as i see in other parts like if i yeah. went to the valley to visit my cousins in somar or san fernando uh-huh. like that was a whole nother level right, right right um and my wife my wife's uh is similar her family a lot of them ended up in compton mm-hmm. they're from wanusco and sacatecas mm-hmm. a lot of them ended up in compton which again it was like post 92 so mm-hmm. it's after that prize now that's a little bit different compton yeah. when it was transitioned but her family ended up in somar which is what? still yeah, it was still a different yeah. different community, but like they there were relatives in the valley, some mm-hmm. Van Nuys and stuff like that. But yeah, and it's go. kind of word of mouth. Everyone just talks like, hey, yeah. if you go, some so and so got you a job here, and then they all kind of like hub together. Even as our dad, my dad was telling us on the way to his birthday dinner over the weekend, he was telling us how he lived in a house with like seven other guys from the same pueblo that he was from in in mexico they came at different times where they worked in the same restaurant so they shared like the rent each had to pay their their half and and make food for each other and stuff like that and that's kind of their their experience first coming right is they find somewhere where they could get a room they all bunk together and then they go work in the same probably restaurant or factory or something of the nature um but I grew up in Glendale and I loved it. I loved Glendale so much. Um, and I know yes. people think of Glendale Americana. Americana was not always there. No. It wasn't always like the beautiful spot there was. Like I was telling Jorge, cause he'll clown me too. He's like, oh yeah, you're from Glendale, blah, blah, blah. Um, Super nice. I was in a drive-by in Glendale. It wasn't the best part of Glendale. There's a Glendale that's like, there's a part of Glendale that's more towards Burbank, that's by the freeway okay. that like, I grew up in an apartment building which I I really feel like I had some of my best years there in that apartment building. Right. But it was also right next to the trap house of the local street gang. And with us, they looked like us. They were friendly towards us, but things happened. Yeah. And so that apartment building, you could you'd often see like or hear gunshots and things of that nature. You don't associate Glendo with that, yeah. but that definitely was an experience for me. However, like I really love the private school district in Glendale like it's a Glendale USD my son is a Glendale USD really student and it's amazing yeah, and I, yeah, and I didn't know how amazing it was until I moved to Silmar and then I got LA USD <sighs> like and it was crazy um, I felt like I was in stand and deliver at that time I'm like oh this is real like these movies that turn into like these mm. these classics that really people are living it I'm an LA USD product yeah and, and I can vouch for that <laughs> I mean look Monroe High I, oh, I, I, I was you know it was yeah. a great experience for me yeah. but like LA USD it's, it's challenging definitely it's, earn your stripes there definitely yeah, it's, it, it's challenging yeah. but it's a good experience Mm-hmm. Though you grow, anyway, yeah, different story. Definitely sound out words before you spell them sometimes with LAUSD. Okay, so is it true? Your dad was a locksmith? Yes. Mom loan officer? Yes, yeah, still to this day. Both? My, yeah, my dad locksmith. My mom does taxes now. She works no like at H&R Block. She's like the best. <laughs> she loves numbers. It's funny because he, Jorge is perfect. Like, and I don't mean that lightly, but he's like, he checks all the boxes, but where his weakness is, his Achilles is his math. 
and that's where I strive in. Like I would get awards for for learning math, like for going to math league contests and stuff like that. Math league, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> and I got that from my mom. She is an incredible accountant, tax officer, all of that good stuff, and the loan officer stuff that she would do with the banks. Incredible. My dad. I, I'm not even too sure how he went from washing dishes yeah. to becoming a locksmith. And he he enjoyed the locksmith, so he just, like, tacked on to that. But I think something my dad has is, and what, what I would hope would rub off on me, is in Spanish, like, you say, me caes bien, you just rub people the right way. Like, my dad was making friends left and right. He didn't even speak the language, but, like, his boss was ready at, at one of the restaurants that he worked for. Uh, his boss was ready to write a letter to to get him like some sort of citizenship just by working there. Cool. He got him an Impala, like yeah, a, a from on 1973 <laughs> Impala. Like yeah. took him to didn't even speak his like they brought an interpreter so that his boss would get him a car. Like my wow. dad just has like a gift of like rubbing people the right way uh, and certain I, energy. Yeah, great certain, energy, mm, amazing mm. energy, and so uh, just seeing him be a locksmith and work for himself he worked out of his car um me and my sister a lot of our our childhood was waiting for him in his car while he was doing a key and then we're listening to radio so all of it is kind of like intertwined like it's there while we're living our own life you know hold on i gotta talk about the radio for a quick Mm -hmm. sec you said rick d's yeah did you have any Vin Scully memories? Oh as my a kid? god, of course. Or, or and my I mean, dad's a big Dodger fan. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure, Vin Scully. It's cool about the Dodgers and what they've managed to do. Their pipeline to Mexico is beautiful. Like my dad was listening to the Dodgers baseball yeah. uh in, in Guanajuato. Coming over here, that's his, their number one team. You know, a lot of these people that you may see them like like just passively maybe a quote-unquote home depot worker or day laborer but they're gonna love the dodgers and because of that attachment from radio of having listened back home and over here huge dodger fan huge vin scully fan he's great he's big with all of them okay so now let's let's transition to something that's Mm -hmm. important for both you guys important for los angeles has to do with radio Mm hip-hop i want to know jorge earliest hip-hop memories that resonated with you like the early artists that put you on where you're like oh shit and i'll tell you for me i will never forget two things uh and i listen i remember the first cassette tapes i bought it was uh run dmc <laughs> um raising hell and beat street soundtrack and i was listening on uh, uh headphones in washington dc my parents fuck they used to like leave me alone and stuff mm-hmm. but <laughs> they like got me the two cassettes and i was like oh shit this like rap music you yeah know, they call it like hip-hop back right. then and this is probably before your guys' time. But then, you know, it kind of was still into other stuff. But back in L.A., it was DJ Quick, mm-hmm. okay, which was the first one that, like, I really connected with where I was like, oh, my God. Like, first of all, it kind of blew my mind because yeah. I never heard language like that. Yeah. So let, let's just be straight. Like, his voice t- and tone is really smooth, too. Yeah, like, but, love, like, the mm-hmm. music. And that yeah. song Tonight, right, yes. where I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it just changed something. I was like, DJ Quick and then NWA and then, of course, like, the whole West Coast hip-hop. Right. But what was oh, your, cool. like, foundation of hip hop because it's defined both of yeah. you guys no, to this sure. day. We owe a lot to it. I think the most noteworthy that I can recall from, you know, just air hustling, you know, my neighbor's uh, playlist or whatever they were playing on, you know, either a CD or the radio. And also, even in my own household through my sister, it was probably Tupac. Ah, Tupac, okay. yeah. And 
you know, I was, and still to this day, you know, a big fan of Tupac because of not only what he does, you know, as an artist musically, but just what he represents and the way they carried himself. And to consider he was so young, this the whole time that this whole story was unraveling is is something definitely to marvel at and to admire and to really like to really examine and study. But musically, I think that you know, and just in terms of his story, Tupac was probably one of the biggest standouts. Later down the road, I mean, obviously the Snoop Dogs, yeah, you know, the DJ Quicks, the Warren G's, the Nate Dogs, you remember Dog even, Pound. Of course, <laughs> even even East Coast though, even the Jay Z's, you know, like greatness. Yeah. Just you know, you just can't deny it. whether you know you you feel a, a West Coast bias. You know, hip hop music, you know, um, lives in in all corners of the world now, but at that time in every region of the country. So uh, there was a, there was a bunch of artists. I, I one of the the stories I always tell is when I, I was at a family gathering, like a family party or a family friends party, and I remember this kid was listening to something on his on his um, CD player, you know, with his headphones on. And uh, I just approached him. I didn't really, I didn't even know who the kid was. I don't even think he was a family member. I think yeah. it was a friend of a family, a yeah. uh, family member. And, um, you know, I'm like, hey, what are you listening to? He's like, I'm listening to the the new 2001 album. I said, what? Jeez. I said, let me, uh, let me listen to that. And I listened to, listened to it from front to back. And I was just really taken away. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This is amazing. Kinda you know, clearly it knew, knew about Dr. Dre, but this was like, I was a little older at this point. So I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So I remember that same night telling my dad, like, hey, I need you to go to Tower Records and, and oh, get me this, this Chronic yeah. 2001. Tower Records. And yeah. it didn't quite work, play out that way. My dad instead went to Walmart <laughs> and purchased Chronic 2001. He bought me back the censored version. Good. Mm. We were, we were in middle school at the time. He brought, you he, don't need to know all those wait, words. Wait, time out. Why'd yeah. you say good? You yeah, know, you, I like, well, I'm a radio person, so I like the edited versions of a lot of things. Okay, yeah. okay. Keep going, though. But, but so as listen, a not radio person, so yeah. I, 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 oh, played, I put the CD uh, into my CD player, my little portable CD player, and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's missing everything. <laughs> it's missing the essence. Yeah. Everything was just like it was like silence every yeah. other word and yeah. I was like, nah, we got we gotta go get the other one. We got Let's return this back. You either silence it out, they used to reverse, reverse. the curse words for a while. Yeah. Or sometimes they'd actually re record like and a, artists a clean hate that. version. Like DMX is, would hate doing the radio edits, like notably like he just would hate it. But he has some of the best songs, you know? Yeah. Um like a party up or like a, like the the Rough Riders anthem. Those two he'd the have to go back yeah. the mm -hmm. DM but go sorry, sorry, but, I didn't mean to interrupt. So you got no, the no clean worries. version so, from Walmart, yeah. So it really even pushed me even further into to my love of hip hop was, you know, I hate to say it, but was downloading music for free. It was yeah. Napster, the advent yeah. of Napster. Yeah. Come on. Because that opened up the, you know, the floodgates of music. And now even if you couldn't buy every new release, you know, whether it was a single, whether it was a full CD, now you're downloading full albums uh, or in some instances full discographies. And you really get to do a deep dive into your the artists that you may have heard a couple of songs that you like. Now you can listen to the whole discography of music and really like, you know, nerd out at the, you know, the the genius of the of what they do. And you get their unreleased shit yeah. or like stuff from before mm. they were really them. You know, dude, that was the fun. LimeWire. Yeah. LimeWire Napster. Uh, uh, Scrape Torrent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait, so who, okay, so Chronic 2001 changed everything kind of for you. I mean, Tupac had already like yeah. turned yeah. that switch on, but Chronic 2001, I was just like, man, this is, 
this is you know as la as it gets it yeah. was just like a hyper focus like this is not meant f- like yes yeah, meant for the world and it's that good that the world's gonna adopt it but this is specifically like curated and created for la you know and it's still to this day you know people play it like it you know came out yesterday yeah it's a masterpiece it's a man. masterpiece dude my son 10 year old son is st- like some of those tracks you yeah. know still like they still mm-hmm. resonate which by the way is something i kind of like about the world right now is i feel like when we were younger if something was 20 years old right we wouldn't touch you, it you don't need ex- to yeah yes mm-hmm. but now it's like almost on the same the rediscovery awesome. yeah it's crazy mm-hmm. that's okay so let to your hip because yeah. you're Look, every time, and I, you guys know I do my research. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> every time I research anything <laughs> with Letty, yeah. it's like, you know, f- not first lady of hip hop, but it, it's, for sure. that's exactly yeah. like what comes up. So oh, for sure. where did this come from? You know, I credit my, my half brother, Jerry, a lot. So my dad has a son from a previous marriage and he's 12 years older than I am. So growing up, like, he's the coolest thing. Like, when he would come visit, especially because he lived with his mom, but when he would come visit, I just want to hang out with him. He's older, he's cool. Sometimes I fight with my older sister, who's two years older than me, but it's like, Jerry was always, like, my awesome time. And he loved Wu-Tang. He was like, look, if you're going to learn hip-hop, you're going to learn the greats, and the greats are in New York. And he would show me, he showed me, like, like, a ODB. And no one is like old dirty bastard, especially at that time. You're talking about the just personality in nah, his even voice. Still, I still think he's one of a kind. Oh, but for yeah, sure. Yeah, the yeah. concepts in his songs. There's a song in particular that I have like a distinct memory, and it's called Dog Shit already. It's called Dog Shit, but he he plays like a dog. Ver- what no, about no, no, the it clean was a bad, version. it was a bad version. Yeah, yeah, See, yeah, this okay, is where so. I kind of probably get this from too. So I just remember like him just l- just like. Oh, hey, uh, like it just was like it grabbed your attention. Yeah. And he's taught if it's titled dog shit, of course he's cursing in it. Uh, my dad comes out and my dad hears his sweet little daughter listening to this music and immediately has my brother turn it off, says she let the you can't listen to this. And Jerry, you're not allowed to play this. So it then became our little like my dad, my my brother to like spite my dad. Yeah. And then me to want to be hanging out with my brother, he would play a song. And the only way that I could listen to that song, at least in my head, was if I memorized it. Like, I'd listen to it with my brother, memorize the lyrics, wrap it in my head afterwards, right? Then one day, because like I told you, I'm used to... And that's that math brain, by the way. I know that that's, you know, music and Mm -hmm. art, but... My dad was a CPA mm-hmm. and I was I was good at math, not not like math leader mm-hmm. or anything, but I used to always write lyrics. So I'd listen to songs over and over and then Shot I'd write down. them mm-hmm. and then I'd like recite them yep. and stuff like that. But that I feel that they kind of go hand in hand because it's to, almost that memorization. And the way memorization. you're laying out yep. like hip hop with the 16 bars and you're getting your rhymes like in a certain structure and yeah. certain rhyme scheme. I feel that that's like mathematics, even though it it's is. verbal. They call it mathematics. Like yeah. they, it's for real. Most F mathematics. So when, when I would, when I would memorize it, and I would play it back in my head. It's just this coolest thing to me. Like, you couldn't... And my brother is Latino. So, like, I didn't see a color to it, right? It would, To me, it was like, this is the music that my brother loves listening to. And I want to be like him, right? Uh, I remember one day, like I told you, I was listening to Rick D's. That's Kiss FM. That's pop music. Or else we listen to the Spanish station. One day, we pop onto the hip-hop station. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, hold on. 
this is the music that I love listening to, but you're not allowing me to. But hey, this one doesn't say the curse words. So that was finally where I found yeah. like, this is where I could listen to this stuff that I shouldn't have listened to with my brother. It felt like the ultimate loophole. Yeah. That's why I don't mind radio edits. Cause to me, it's like, that was my saving grace where I, I could actually listen to hip hop, <laughs> right? Is listening to it on the radio on power. Um, so that was what made me fall in love, like a like a like Wu Tang and stuff. And my brother, however, like like Jorge, no one is like Tupac. You know, yeah. Tupac had music where essentially in hip hop the narratives are surrounding women, and I have like a, a girl's experience to hip hop, but the narratives surrounding women are crazy baby mama, the one that got you trapped, like the one that set you up, like the the hoes and all of that. Say bitches and hoes, right. to be honest. So, yeah. So Tupac had different ones where he was like, Brenda's got a baby, like keep your yes. head up, like like mama, baby don't cry. Dear mama, yeah, of course. And so in moments where I needed that I at least the support and I could hear it in music, it would be with someone like Tupac. And it felt very like, okay, this is uplifting. Granted, you still had the other variety of his music. Wonder why they but, call you bitch. Yeah. But also, oh, hey, that could balance. be towards a dude too. Um, yeah, no. Dude, yeah. Tupac's yeah. legacy but is very complex. For sure, like, for sure. Very, As is any man yeah, and human, right? True. Good point, um, good point. Okay. So being okay. able to just hear it and feel supported by it, I fell in love with hip-hop. And the lyrical aspect of it, when people, when I interview artists, I'll ask them about a lyric, and I think they're used to just hearing like, so who's your celebrity crush and who's on the album? Yeah. And I'll be like, hey, when you said this, and to them it's like, wow, you know that, or how'd you tap into that and it's probably because i had to memorize it as a little girl wow. the lyrics so that i would be able to like have some sort of repetition in my brain uh again probably the math brain of like you writing stuff down yeah is i paid attention to lyrics people li listen for different things some people like a beat yeah and, don't and they care don't care about a lyric totally yeah totally. so that's kind of my my falling in love with with rap I've, sorry, I forgot to add 106 and Park in the basement. Oh, yeah. critical building blocks. Music videos. Dude, Music videos sure. were huge. Mm -hmm. Jukebox. Well, the oh, box. Yeah, yeah the box. but at first, I think it was actually called like the Jukebox mm -hmm. channel. And then I think it turned into box. But, dude, yeah. big time exposure on that and stuff. For me, being it on the West Coast, and I remember, it's funny you say Wu-Tang, because there was a guy in my class once listening to hip hop, like listening to some headphones, mm -hmm. right? This is math class, coincidentally, unrelated, mm -hmm. but listen to math. <laughs> and he was this quiet dude. Josh Black was his name. And he's listening to headphones. He'd always be listening to headphones, actually. <laughs> and I'm getting <laughs> yeah. more and more into And he's, you know, doing like the head non stuff, but it's like in class. I'm like, what do you listen to? And it was, he was like, uh, Wu Tang Clan. And you know, I'd like heard it, but yeah. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. no, I'm not mm -hmm. into like Wu Tang, like some East Coast or whatever. He's like, all right, like you're yep. you're lost, bro. Yep. He's like, and then slowly, like little by little, like, let me let me hear that, like let me let me get into that, and then just kind of, but channels like the box and music videos, yeah. then you're exposed to a wider, yeah. and again, more exposure is always better. Mm -hmm. You um, find you end up finding what's for you. Yeah, because there's so many different storytellers, there's so many different perspectives, and you'll find for what's for you. Did you ever rap? I tried one time, but my rap was way too, like, I'm like, this is too deep. Um, let the ear too deep for this. And I'm like, I tried it one time. I kind of, oh yeah. You know how um, how Jay-Z has dead presidents? Mm -hmm. So Jay-Z has like his songs, Dead Presidents. I'm out for presidents to represent me. Say what? And then, and then <laughs> J. Cole flipped that on one of his mixtapes. And I love Cole. And he has Dead Presidents 2, Dead Presidents 3. 
And then I was like, ooh, I want to make my own flip on Dead Presidents, and I'll call it Dead Four Presidents. See, too deep already. The two, like, hip-hop brain. And so I was doing, like, for every verse, it was telling a story of someone that died chasing money. And so then it became Dead Four Presidents. So then I'm like, this is a lot. And It's pretty legit, though. Yeah, That's yeah. yeah. Cool. I think my concepts are great. Yeah. Uh, maybe a great A&R one day, but. Were you, yeah. did you ever have? Uh, to pursue a career? No. No, I th- to I think pursue, but what, what, I think we had, my friend anything, Angelo yeah. and I probably recorded something. Yes. Because we were in enough studios mm-hmm. and we yeah. recorded something. I rec- oh, you had tools available? Yeah. No, this was an older age, mm-hmm. 19, 18. So we, we were on like GarageBand and recorded like a line or two, but nothing, nothing mm-hmm. past that. I was like, yeah, it's not for me. Right. I want to talk, you said something about e-commerce with e-commerce, taking yeah. your pictures and all that. And that was a big stepping stone for you into how you ended up Jorge by the way yeah. I'm pointing I'm pointing at him but you guys can't can't hear that um that was a big stepping stone for you into what ended up being your career and essentially your life at this point talk to me that about that development I heard stuff about eBay selling stuff on yeah. eBay give me the development of that so to complete the story for, um that we were talking about earlier I go and um try to get the Jordan 17s can't afford them explore the idea of getting a a part-time job find out you know a little bit more what being undocumented entails so i started to do a little bit of research online and one of the things that uh you know always interested me at the time was uh basketball and sneakers so i started buying and reselling sneakers within the capacity that i could and the platform at the time that was probably the biggest and you didn't have to have like a big following i mean there was no following i don't think at the time but um eBay was was a great marketplace, wow. you know, for, you know, uh, to make sales online. And so I bought and um, resold sneakers on, but on eBay. But you knew this? How'd you even find out about mm-hmm. that at the time? Um, I think I had already been shopping on eBay for things like little trinkets, whatever. Again, whatever I could afford. But you were like, yo, I want to sell yeah, at I, this point. Okay, yeah, the yeah, light bulb yeah. just went the off. The light bulb went off. And then I started buying and reselling sneakers, buying them at retail and reselling them. Wow. And then... um. Later, I, I started to get hip to what was called at the time sniping. So you buy sneakers at a low price. Sometimes some some sellers uh, don't don't have the best product photos or or misspell certain product names, mm. and so you have to kind of like do your homework and look for you know a Nike A R J A R J R D N or something something. And this is the early early Super internet easy. really too. So yeah. for, for anybody who may not be familiar, because. It was the Wild West, yeah. like even on places like eBay, which is okay. It so. was a, it was a ama- it was an amazing place. So, I I would buy and resell sneakers, let um and one of the like unique selling points to what I did was, um I made sure that my listing looked better than everybody else's, right? So that's kind of like with a little bit of coding, a little bit of graphic design, coding this guy, a little yes. a little bit of uh, photography, all played a role. All self taught, by the way. All self taught because at this time there's YouTube as well. YouTube is as a thing, so I I, go, I would credit your sister's graphic. That too, class. no, the YouTube YouTube yeah. was for e-commerce because yeah. my sister didn't do that. And his sister was at a community college taking like graphic design, and he would tag along. Granted, nine years younger. But he would tag along into her classes yep. and learn free education. Yeah. Why? What? Um, what in you? I mean, I feel like that's a that's quality. Two, two things. Not a lot of people even have that kind of quality. Two, two things. My sister and I growing up were like two peas in a pod. Okay. So that's one thing. Even you know? with the nine-year age difference, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. we, it was badass. only us two. Yeah, um, that's one. The second one was just, uh, I guess, the inquisitive nature. You know, I think uh, specifically like my dad, my. Um, 
my dad's sister, even my mom, whether she'll admit it or not, all have like artistic qualities and, you know, certain talents that sometimes might have not been exercised fully. Um, but what I liked about graphic design, I always w was like an artist in the sense I like to draw. Yeah. I wasn't the best. You know, I saw other, uh, you know, peers of mine that were far better than I was. So, you know, I thought, well, how can I still express myself artistically, you know, but at the level that I, you know, like me, a perfectionist can can feel comfortable with. And so pixel pushing was it for me. You wow. know, so when you my could sister, be exact, right? I could be, be exact precise. and I could I could execute certain visions that I could probably wouldn't have felt as comfortable, you know, doing it manually, like in illustrating and drawing. I just felt like some people just got an edge on me on that. So I said, this is kind of like the, the, e like the great, e the equalizer of sorts, you know, that kind of leveraged the playing field for me artistically. And so that, that ultimately is that idea combined with, again, my sister, you know, like, like my wife said, she, you know, that she was doing, she was majoring in graphic design that definitely, you know, uh, allowed me to learn a lot faster, a lot quicker than probably most people my age or, or at least gained the interest. How in old were you, if you don't mind me asking at that point? At that time, I was probably like, I went to first started. I mean, my sister's nine years older, so it must have been like, it must have been 10 or 11. But you're in normal school. Yeah, like, how are you even having the time in the- Her classes were in the afternoon. And you'd, and you'd be like, I want to, yeah, I'm excited to go do this yeah, because yeah. I real, I, see, I can't even fathom yeah. having that kind of like, outlook yeah, at that age that's badass and that speaks to who you are today but yeah go on so you so i started doing the ebay thing i went from buying and reselling sneakers shooting my own product shots and that ultimately me, me learning a lot about branding through that experience because i realized that albeit you know there might have been 10 or 12 other sellers at the time selling the exact same sneaker in the exact same colorway in the exact same size in the exact same condition you know whether it be dead stock or near dead stock um, ultimately, what, what what people gravitated to uh, most, you know, c the consumers was what was presented, you know, um, the most professionally. And so, what someone else, you know, that might have taken their photos, yeah, yeah might have might have sold that same yeah. pair of sneakers for a hundred dollars because he, you know, just had like basic typeface and mm -hmm. you know, basic description lighting, and blurry and a photo, you know, yeah. off their phone or off their early, like you know, like their novice level digital camera. I was able to do a little bit better, you know, with what the, the resources I pulled together and sell that very same sneaker for $100 more or $200 Ooh, more. Okay. And so that was my, my branding lesson, you know, branding class 101, you know, in real time. And you're learning on the fly. Are you doing <clears throat> like research, let's say, on branding per se, or are you just watching this happen? Okay, I got to do that next time. I need to improve here. Mm -hmm. I think trial and error. A lot of it was trial and error. And also, you know, from being a consumer, you know, if you have your antennas up, you can kind of pick up on a lot of things, you know, that why, why, why you, why you, why you're attracted to certain things and why you gravitate towards certain products or certain brands or certain colorways of, you know, like, or, or certain messaging, you know, or certain brand values, like, if you have your antennas up, I don't think it's anything exclusive to me or to have, yeah. you know, that you have to go to college to. It's just about like, why do you know, why do things make you feel a certain way? Yeah. You know, and that's that's, that's kind of like where I have my antennas up and I'm like looking at certain products. Like even my parents, you know, who used to smoke and they would be they're part of like the Marlboro Club. You know, and I and like, why would you like? There's yeah. nothing here yeah, that merch. like yeah. they had merch. Yeah. The shit was dope. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. You know, it's so dope Good that even Rude has borrowed, you know, their typeface and created a whole fashion brand wow. off of it. 
right? If you really think about it, it's not everything, you know, one-to-one, but the the type of loan, for those that did know about Marlboro Club, you know, would be like Roots started that type face first, especially as smoking is kind of like thankfully phasing out, you know, cigarettes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But in saying that, you know, carrying my camera, it was solely at the time for... For product photography then myspace came around and wait before because yeah. myspace is gonna be a big thing mm-hmm. here but were you starting to make so you're starting to make money starting right to make money yeah. real money i mean for you for you like at right. the time you're like oh shit i'm yeah. fucking Buy, buy, it. buying and reselling sneakers to a degree again nothing that is even comparable to what kids do now like you see tiktok videos where kids nah, have like nah, a whole nah, table nah, and they're like here take my no, take no, my no. table for a hundred thousand yeah. you know and they're no, like no. ah, i'm not taking that like i would have died for something like that Cold. you know but you know maybe for where were you buy, were in life yeah buying yeah. and reselling sneakers yeah i think what, what was more lucrative for me was even a better business model which was drop shipping and so the drop shipping thing came about after like maybe a year or two of doing um ebay, eBay um buying and reselling sneakers um, I started doing drop shipping DVDs from China. I always hear this term. I don't even know. I couldn't so, tell you and, what it really yeah. is, yeah. but I've always heard this no, term. No, so yeah. drop shipping in simple terms is you middlemaning a business transaction, mm-hmm. right? Between a, like a factory, right? A distributor and a consumer. consumer. And so I just stood in the middle, didn't have to put any, like doing drop shipping, at least the way I was doing it, I didn't have to invest a single dollar. So. At the time, what the the list that I came across was uh, a list from a distributor in China that used to sell uh, polo uh, po- polo PK T-shirts, Lacoste polo uh, Lacoste PK T-shirts, and also uh, of all things Star Trek DVDs, which I wasn't uh, at the time even familiar. I knew of the brand, but I, I, even to this day, I never became you know super okay. immersed in that in the Star Trek phenomenon. Yeah. But I, what I did, what I what did what did catch my attention was the fact that the Star Trek DVD volume, like the entire series, used to sell at the time. I remember for like seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Wow! Right, the DVD okay. set, and this distributor in China offered it for a hundred dollars, which meant that there's an opportunity to make some money. And you're digging like, how'd you even find like Alibaba or something? No, like, the list, the list. I purchased it on eBay through to a now very very good friend of mine, and I, also you know like a big big name in LA in the fashion scene uh, who goes by the name of Justin Reed. Okay. And so uh, he and he's he was originally from Staten Island, New York, and he sold me the list. We became really great friends even to this day. But I, I say this all to say um, I was uh, DVDs was really lucrative because I would be able to undercut whatever, you know, the price was at your tr- traditional retail outlet which was 800. So I think at one point I might have started like undercutting it by $100. So it was $700. So I sell the DVD. I, I would be selling these DVD oh, sets, you know, through my sales method of presentation and everything that you know that I did that I felt was unique to what I was doing, in, in, in comparison to other people that might have been offering the same product. And yeah, I mean, that was I couldn't wait to get home. You know, I remember yeah. being in math class. Like, because he didn't this have shit. to do any of the shipping. He didn't no, have to label they, they anything. They did fulfillment. It's kind of like you're a shell company, but also like a promo team. Yeah, like legit. So you're basically just saying, hey, you want a DVD? I know somebody. All right, hey, here's the and you sell through like me, right? Through you, so, I'm assuming China, Peter, the company couldn't sell on American websites or American something, so they would use you to kind of like be that that middle. And person. they couldn't cut you out. They're just no, no, no. That's I, like, I, drop shipping still happens to this. Drop day, shipping no? still happens to the day, but it's just been more widely adopted. That it's kind of a little bit more challenging, yeah. I think. 
and I only, uh, from my experience, I went, I remember starting at a $700 price point right. and coming in with $600 profit got it off every sale. Yeah. And How then, old were you at that time? Because you got to think what we were doing like as 14, like 14, 15? That's, that's a 15-year-old. I wasn't making them. I wasn't even. Thinking of making there money. You we're go. consumers. Thank you. But I, I, I also think that that comes from his, like his immigrant status. Like I have to make money. Let me be resourceful and figure out how I can make the most money with what I have. And it, it his situation in life kind of not put him in that corner. But if he could just get a nine to five, that would be his story. Yeah, I, I started working at that. Target yes, or Ross or something. Yes. But because he had to figure it out, he figured it out during in means that we would never, you know. I couldn't wait to get out of math class and go fill out the Excel sheet for the order <laughs> and email it to the lady Rose in China. Yeah. And her, you know, send me a tracking number and me send send it over to the to the buyer. Yeah. But we I did I ran that that uh that 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 drop shipping play specifically for Star Trek DVDs probably from for maybe about a year and a half or so it went from price selling it upwards to 700 to all the way down to maybe 200 dollars. and i said you know what i have to exit and what's funny is that the very person that sold me the list was my competitor who was my good friend justin mm -hmm. yeah i think justin probably uh benefited from it the most he probably sold it to me where he was like man i'm selling you know it's not worth the you know the effort the time and effort for me anymore because wow. i remember when i did visit him it was later down you know in life you know we started like around 14 15 Damn, you were a kid then I, man. Him, I went crazy. to i went to new york and when uh to actually to stay with him and his family when i was eight, 18 19 just to go visit and my man had like a sl 550 and i'm like yeah you what list do you have because i don't got <laughs> that can, one yeah, i'm like because i know his family still let's be clear yeah. as a 14 15 year old what a money, couple hundred yeah. bucks is like all right then you're doing $20. that over and over bro like yeah so woo. that e the e-commerce thing was very instrumental for me picking up the camera and then um did you think of yourself as an entrepreneur by the way yeah, because you were so because my my parents were entrepreneurs. You know, again, mm -hmm. they might just think they were just running, going through the motions, and you have to do what you have to do. But in the very essence of an entrepreneur is you know finding opportunity and creating it and doing it over and over and trying to scale it larger or or at the very least have it be something stable. You know that you could sustainable that you can live off of. So my mom sold silk flower arrangements year round, which I I just. I would go with her, you know, to a lot of the places. She, was, she would sell at bowling alleys, um, nail salons, hair salons, um, temp agencies, and beyond. My dad had the food truck, you know, the, the lunch truck. And an era where lunch trucks weren't, you know, just pulling up to, like, to factories mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Not like it is today. It's Dude, a whole people used game. to call them roach coaches. They did, like, yeah, I remember. Totally big. To, oh, I'll never, I'd never forget, like, the same people who were waiting in line at Kogi, who I respect, <laughs> which right. is great food, would have never, never. would have yeah. been like, oh, how could you eat Gross. something off of one of those roach coaches? But, yeah, yeah. that's a real. No, and, and it, was, it was a tough job for him. For one, the commissary was in Anaheim. And we lived in in San Gabriel, Rosemead. No, yeah, Rosemead, San Gabriel at the time. So, it was quite a quite a commute. He'd have to do. He'd have to not only do the accounting. He'd also have to do the the food prep. So prep all the, all of the ingredients beforehand. Um, he, he you know he had he had a lot of responsibility on his hand. In fact, so much to at one, you know he got robbed twice at gunpoint. <sighs> mm. I really like. I, I I don't think I understood the grab. I mean, clearly you know when it's life or death situation when you're a kid you kind of get it but now as an adult i come to i always reflect how different will my life have been 
had that played out differently because people either get nervous and shoot yeah. or they're just like no regard for no regard life. for human yeah. life and that could have been a whole different story for me and by the you way know? just psa this robbing food trucks trend that's still happening right now like mm -hmm. come on like this is people that this is their life and these are not people with a ton of money like of all the potential victim and i'm not even saying robbery in right. any, any cases in any form. yeah right. but like really like mm -hmm. the people th that's come on man that's such a low form of of cri of all crime right. it's terrible but that's yeah. just stop that shit okay anyway yeah. go on sorry so i i think the entrepreneurial spirit i think came from my parents and then also just like my wife was saying just having to be resourceful but yeah i did consider myself an entrepreneur you know because i didn't see any of my peers doing this mm -mm. yeah you know but i there was a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit even before that i remember like getting maybe like in third grade getting stuff from happy meals like certain like little novelty items that you selling get like the happy meal toys selling the happy meals or, or trading cards like uh basketball cards Ooh, selling you, them you would rent out the, the oh the backyard the so that backspace that we were talking yes. about earlier in yes. rosemead i would so there was a, a group of friends <laughs> yeah. a group of friends that um that used to it, it turned out to, to be a big scandal at our school probably ended up on the news but they sold over like sixty seventy thousand dollars from their parents because you know a lot of my my friends were asian and a lot of our asian friends can you know don't trust banks mm -hmm. and they keep cash at their house mm -hmm. so there's one kid who uh was you know siphoning money out of the parents um vault at, over at home you know like the safe box and um I was one of the beneficiaries. I, I yes. started to admit because, you know, they, they started buying uh, cars from car uh, lots. This is in sixth grade, you know, from car auctions. They bought uh, paintball yeah. guns, BB guns, but they didn't have anywhere. They weren't like to play pl them. places to play. But I said, look, my family and I, we go out on Friday night. Typically, we'll gra go grab a bite to eat at the local burger spot or Asian restaurant. I'm like, we take you generally two, three, two to three hours. We'll be out. You know, we like to. We might go grab, you know, a drink or whatever. We'll be out and about, you know, so we don't get home relatively quickly. If you want, I, you guys can wait on, over on the other side of the, uh, the other side of the gate where the apartments are because you can access that through the street. And when our car pulls off, you guys can go and shoot and, you know, the paint, have your paintball wars in the back in the back area behind the house. Wow. And just leave some money in the mailbox. Dude. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a special kind of money. So I would I get I would get time, home. Like, regular <laughs> people parents, don't think like this. Not no. at all. I would get home, go get my money, yeah. put it. <laughs> oh, man. And then what did your parents think of you having this money as a kid? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, good. I think it was, I think they were proud of it. You know, they were like, you're figuring things out. But they weren't like, are you selling drugs or anything no, like that? No, that's the very reason they, they probably were proud and happy because they knew I wasn't selling drugs. They were mm -hmm. too on top of things for me even to go down that road. Yeah. Okay, at this moment, we're going to take a break. We're going to go to one of the sponsors, but we're going to be right back and we're going to get into the to the modern evolution of Letty and Jorge. <laughs> So if you're from L.A. or anywhere in Southern California, you know Cerritos Auto Square and their famous slogan, they sell more, so you save more. Well, get this. A new documentary is coming out. It follows the creation of this SoCal institution, Cerritos Auto Square. And I didn't realize this, but it's the largest auto center by annual sales in the country. The documentary starts at the beginning when the area was all dairy farms. 
You know how I love to look back on Southern California history and its evolution. And I didn't realize how much work and innovation went into creating the world's largest auto center. I'm actually surprised at how interesting this documentary is. There's a ton of historical footage from old Southern California, and you know I was loving every scene. So in keeping with the theme world's largest, they're hosting the world's largest red carpet movie premiere in California. The free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the amazing Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Attendance is free, but it's limited to the first 1,600 registrations. So make sure you secure your ticket at CerritosAutosquare.com slash movie. Again, the free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Free tickets can be secured at CerritosAutosquare.com slash movie. I'll see you there. Okay, we're back. And I want to continue with Jorge because I want to talk about Ben Baller hmm. and what he meant to your career or what what is the connection there? Talk to me. Because Ben Baller is a friend of the podcast. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think around the time I was... 14, 15, 16, um, buying and reselling sneakers. One of the biggest online forums for sneakers was a, a forum called nikeytalk.com. And arguably the, the most unique, the biggest standout of those users on that site was Ben Baller. Hmm. Um, ben Baller, I, I just remember before there was a MySpace posting, you know, a, crazy amount of photos of, of his lifestyle you know everything from him riding you know part of a motorcycle crew called cocky riders to his network of friends that just so happened to be you know entertainers athletes you know who's who of people and in the middle of it was ben baller you know korean american bald head with tattoos you know which you know is a juxtaposition um so it was kind of like De definitely very unique you know and you drew me in by you know all the photos you're young impressionable young young guy you know that has big big dreams and aspirations so you see a guy like ben baller you know uh, moving in the your sphere of influence in terms of the sneaker world and you see someone that is doing really well you know in the in the sneaker world and has amassed you know crazy amount of sneakers and is very influential and has a collection worth you know hundreds of thousands is not at that point you know well over a million dollars worth of sneakers um and his ties to hip-hop culture and every everything that ben baller you know um embodies to me was you know definitely something that i gravitated towards and so you know i, I admire from afar you know just seeing like his different posts you know he was very active on that community everything from you know the sneaker related topics to just talking shit you know you know he's he's got you know the gift of gab for yes, sure yes. you know um and he's 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 changed a lot in the way that he expresses himself he still speaks a lot but you know he's obviously matured and you know listening to his podcast if you were to listen to his podcast and contrast it to him you know in the nike talk era of 2003 2004 2005 you definitely see a lot of human growth you know of a man um, that said, uh, around this time of, of this Nike talk era, I'm also, you know, getting hip to MySpace and a lot of people are getting hip to MySpace and MySpace is becoming, you know, a dominating force like into this like 
uh, advent of like social media and people, you know, joining these things and meeting people and networking with people, you know, whether it was for personal relationships, romantic relationships, business relationships, yeah, a yeah. little bit of everything, right? It was a way to, you know, as a platform for where people are able to kind of uh, find a little bit, you know, create a, a sense of identity, whether it was authentic or not. Yes. That's the that's a big create question. your own identity, create your yeah. own identity, yeah. you know. But um, I remember, uh, you know, following him from Nike Talk onto MySpace and kind of just seeing him, you know, um, gain popularity on MySpace like he did on Nike Talk, but maybe with a, you know, a, a different audience. A lot of people, I'm sure, followed him from Nike Talk over and probably people that knew him from the record and, you know, the music industry followed him over and from the shoe industry, you know, the shoe game probably followed him over. But I know that definitely a lot of other people that didn't know about him that were not Nike Talk were following him on, on MySpace. And so I remember um, trying at the time also as MySpace is going around, AOL Instant Messenger was like at the tail end of its career. <laughs> and so I remember um, his... Um, his username being on, I think, on his bio and on his Nike Talk account, and me saving that and adding it to my AOL Instant Messenger. And so I, I think at one point I reached out, you know, naively, just like without any any type of rapport or anything, any type of backstory, like just, you know, just trying to soak up some knowledge, soak up some game. Um, but around when I was like maybe 18, 17, 18 years old, and he kind of just like brushed me off and I was like, all right, fair game. You know, I really have, I'm not bringing anything to the table. This is someone that's got a couple years on me. Yeah. You know, so I probably would do the same. It is what it is. Several m months later, after that first interaction on inst instant messenger that did or didn't happen, um, I'm, I, I see uh, what was a bulletin, which is like a story, you know, like a story post now on Instagram okay. or on face Facebook. Saw a bulletin post in which he was asking people to, if anyone knew how to code and knew how to put um, thumbnails on a on a on a MySpace page, which was a huge commodity at the time. Customize customizing mm -hmm. yes. your MySpace page. Yeah. Yes. And so, I jumped at the opportunity of coding like over, probably like three four hundred photos. You know, to to be thumbnails that live within the the, the, the body of the page versus yeah. going into the album versus going yeah. to into the album. And so I helped him out with that. You know. Not expecting. Wait, but he just ex like he put out he the solicitation, looking, yeah. And you were I jumped you, on huh, so you're like blah 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 blah, yeah. And he acknowledged you right away, or yeah. did you? Okay, so okay. he acknowledged it because I sent them a, a text file or word a word document that had all of the coding in there. Okay. They could easily just paste in there, and then once it's pasted into his profile, you know, it'll show up like he wanted it to Good show job. up. Good and job. it was all uniform. It was like three columns. And I don't know how many images. Mm -hmm. It was just tons and tons and tons of images. But his page still loaded up relatively quickly. And it's what he was looking for. And I wasn't expecting anything specific in return other than like maybe now we can have an open line of communication. Mm -hmm. And I could soak up some game or, yeah. you know, that, that was it. And he was gracious enough, you know, to go beyond that, honestly, you know, and I've gotten to, I'm glad I've given, give, been able to express that to him, you know, later down the road, you know, and give him his flowers, you know, for opening the door. Cause I, you know, um, most people, you know, in those positions, you usually are gatekeepers and they don't like, you know, they're intimidated by other people coming in mm -hmm. and, or they might just not, you know, might, it, past might not just not cross the, you know, the, in the way that they might, people might want to and they just, don't open you know the door for others uh, but but with Ben you know after this interaction he um, 
we you know we built a relationship via AOL Instant Messenger, real real light stuff. And um, he invited me at you know we communicated very sparsely from there on. He invited me at one point um, um, to a exhibition, like to an event that uh, Soul Assassins was having mm. with uh, with Mr. Cartoon, with Estevan, DJ Muggs. Um, and it was at uh, the old turntable lab on Fairfax. Wow! Okay. Right, right. Uh, I think where John and Vinny's is at now. <laughs> that that used to be the turntable lab, and it was like a photo exhibition, like art exhibition, and just like you know, like a, a dope Soul Assassins, you know, curated event. And in that event, I finally meet Ben Baller in person. Ben introduces me to a whole host of people, you know, that to me were you know movers and shakers in the industry of hip hop. Um, he introduced me to Mr. Cartoon, to Estevan. He introduced me to Benji and Joel from Good Charlotte because they were good friends at the time <laughs> and really connected. Um, he introduced me to DJ Ski, and then he introduced me to a uh, game. Okay. You know, and this all is at game. that event. Wow. This is game That's at the, a on the, on the, yeah. on the right there. Right. That's but again, I didn't think anything of it because I'm not in that industry. And you're at yeah. that point, so you're, you're not, just like nice to me. Like yeah. I'm whatever, just a fan right? of, okay. of the culture okay. and an admirer of it. Something and cool to a go participant to, yeah. from it, like on the consumer end, you know, and somebody that had no involvement in it. And that was that. After that, after that, um, those introductions, Ben introduces, uh, Ben reintroduces me or takes me over to. A uh, hype public relations, which was a public relations company that entertainment public relations company um, off of Melrose, like uh, Melrose La Brea area. Um, Were you going as his homie or like as his photographer, as his coder? Nothing. Like, just as a, like, hey, want to come why, through? Yeah. yeah why like, did he even take you? Do my plus to one? That? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think just as, as someone that was hungry and that was trying yeah. to get in the wow. game, because I think he he had same similar opportunities Someone, like yeah. with Denzel Washington of all people. Crazy. You know, was kind of one of the people that opened up the door for, for him. him. Yeah. I did not. Know That's that. tight. That's yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. So. You know, I th I think when people do that stuff for you, you know, mm -hmm. like you gotta pay it forward. There's yeah. nothing like you would you would be you know selfish in not doing that, mm -hmm. you know, and doing things like that. Especially when you see someone that's young and hungry, hungry. and that takes initiative. And so he he did that for me, and he walked me over to um, High Public Relations wow. a company that was owned by DJ Ski and um, Sam Kiwanfar, who is now owner of a company called Milk Money. That's like okay. a, a billboard digital marketing agency. And at the time, uh, really, the person that he the that he introduced me to was uh, DJ Ski. And at the time, mm -hmm. Ski was working really closely with Game. This is coming off the heels of Game going five times platinum yeah. with the documentary, yeah. Prime going Game. Going into the yeah. do going into the Doctor's Advocate, going into the beef with Fifty Cent, mm -hmm. and all of those mixtapes and hundred bars and three hundred yeah. bars, and. That that was you know truthfully you know really a really special moment. So that's the camera that I, I was using for e-commerce, and I was using to publish my own images per, for my just to document my personal life on MySpace. On that took a different turn, and I can it was like okay, well, what's gonna be what's gonna be my contribution to this to this whole thing? I don't produce, I don't sing, you know, I don't I don't consider myself to be to have aspirations of being a music executive or A and R. I, I love music, but what what thing could I could I bring to the table? And one was my, my my natural inclination was the visual branding, you know, of 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 this you know ever evolving you know genre of music, and it just so happens at the time that it's piping hot in L.A. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. you know, because of game and other emerging artists. And, you know, the South was taking, wow. you know, its downward turn to a degree. You know, it still was very relevant. But mm-hmm. with, with game, you know, coming out as hot as he did, you know, opened up a, a ton of opportunities for a lot of people. And that's one 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 person that, you know, you know, wh- whatever reservations people may have about game, yeah. you know, and the way that he carries himself or doesn't carry himself, um, I always got, you know, he gave credit and flowers to someone that did, in fact, open up the doors for a lot of people that people may know of and not know of. Mm-hmm. Because, again, people can be selfish, you know, and you're in that position five times platinum. Yeah. Working, with, you know, you don't work quote, with Dr. need Dre. to help you don't need anybody. To help nobody, yeah, yeah. You know, definitely. but th- that 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 bone does exist in his body. So or, what what happened? What was it? So you got your camera, you got this introduction. Ben puts you in the right place. Where where does it go? How does it happen that okay. now you become the Jorge Paniche? Yeah. Sure. Like the, yeah. So now now I'm once I'm introduced to Ski Ski, you know, starts to invite me to. Uh, uh, recording sessions that he's having with Game and his team, the Black Wall Street. Um, they're recording a project called the Black Wall Street Journal Volume 1. And on that Black Wall Street Journal Volume 1, there was a, outside of Game, there was a bunch of other artists, you know, that, you know, um, were, were making their a name for themselves and were on the rise. Um, J-Rock was one of them. K-Dot, Kendrick Lamar yeah. was another yeah. one. Um, my boy Dub, who now goes by Quincy White, was another out of South Central out of Athens Park. Um, your boy, who's from the Bay, you know, mm-hmm. was another one. Cicero from Philly was another one. A new artist that game had just signed at the time from Phoenix, Arizona, Juice, was another one. So there was just like a bunch of d- d- hungry, talented artists and game, you know, all collaborating on one project and me getting an opportunity to to document that process and getting invited wow. to not only the, the mixtape sessions, but then later, you know, or in conjunction to those mixtape sessions, actual studio like album sessions for uh, a game's uh, sophomore album, The Doctor's Advocate, and getting to see, you know, now the more well-known collaborators like Will I Am, the Nas, mm-hmm. the Kanye's, all of those guys step yeah. into the frame, and game being gracious enough again to you know to allow me, you know, access, and again this is in the towards the tail and the arrow before the floodgates were open where yeah. everyone gets access mm-hmm. which i'm fine with because if you are in fact an advocate for a, a certain thing and you want it to be bigger the more coverage the better mm-hmm. yeah i'm not the yeah. the type of person that's like oh man there's 10 people shooting here like fuck them i'm not doing this this is my yeah. thing stay no out. I don't, yeah i'm like yeah. cool let's see who shoots it better yeah wow so then but what happened though like where did Look, um, I'll just say what it is. Where did you blow up? Mm-hmm. Like, how did that happen? Um, it didn't happen overnight. I think it was just something from. I think it was a culmination of things. It, I think it one one of them was having the immense blessing of getting to work with Game and the artists that he was working, getting to document the artists he was working with, whether they were the ones, the, art, the local artists that were on the rise that were in collaboration with him, or the more well-known household names, you know, of hip hop yeah. that were collaborating with him. And getting those images and getting to publish them on platforms yes. like MySpace, you know, right. where it gave a lot of exposure to what I was doing. Two, I I took the initiative of um, reaching out to a ton of publications, you know, as a freelance, not only f- a photographer, but also writer. This is a common theme with you, mm-hmm. again, that I find so important. Uh, being proactive, man, and, and just reaching out. Like, I tell that to, I'm, I'm a 
proponent of that too but like look what's the worst that can happen you're gonna get rejected but it's better than not knowing man and like Again, you you gotta kick open the door sometimes. You know, sometimes doors are open for you. But yeah, okay. Ben, ben Baller has a tagline that I think speaks true to that: is this is not your practice life. Shit. So if you think of, if you really live by that mantra, then it's like you can't play around with it. You know, you mm-hmm. gotta go for the gusto, and you can't shy away from you know uh, things not ha- playing out the way you want them to. You gotta at the very least go go to swing when you're at bat. You know. And yes. So. Again, the publications was a you know I got I got lucky I came across this book that had like a uh, it was kind of like a, the yellow pages for like magazines for both domestic and overseas publications. So uh, my days and nights relied entirely on reaching out to all of these publications. Yes. As as soon as I erected like a website was a porf- a decent portfolio of work, both of my writing samples, my writing work, and also my photography work. I would reach out to these different publications and, you know, to offer my services. And the ones that for whatever reason, you know, gave me the most opportunity were publications overseas, like in Japan in Australia in Germany, um, locally Ryan magazine in LA and then double XL a little bit later down the road. But, um, again, in, 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 a, in a industry that was in all, in all, for all intents and purposes dying, you know, yeah. which was the print, you know, Fuck. editorial industry. For sure. Um, the best way that I was able to kind of like navigate, survive and, and create, you know, carve out a little lane for myself was by offering the full package of, of um, writing and photography. Mm-hmm. So I conduct the That's interview, yeah. I would shoot the artist and then I would write the story. And then in some cases, if it's domestic, then it's written, you know, word for word exactly as I spell as I as I intended it to. And then if it was a publication like in Germany or, or in Japan, it would be uh, translated. translated. And this is right when hip hop is really blowing up mm-hmm. internationally. Right. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you got like France, like you said, Germany, there's a lot of artists and, and that scene was starting to be really recognized to a large extent. Mm-hmm. So you were in the right place in the right time even though you weren't even physically in that place, it just happened that that's where those opportunities may have been the brightest at that point, which is absolutely. And that to me was, you know, the internet was a huge tool for me, you know, um, definitely try to make the best use of it. And really one of the craziest moments um, where I realized how powerful the internet was. I mean, there was multiple things, but one of the things where I really had like an epiphany of sorts was not too far from where we're recording at now. We were on Ventura Boulevard. It was, I think I was driving and then sitting shotgun to me was the editor of Juice Magazine, which is a German, like the German double XL. Hmm. And then sitting in the passenger seat in the back was my friend from Australia who I met on Facebook. And we were going to go get sushi on Sushi <laughs> Row. Oh, yes. So yes. All, all of those things said, it mm-hmm. really speaks to like, damn, the internet is crazy. It just made the world so small a lot smaller and it brings you know like-minded individuals you know together and people that have you know similar energies and you know trajectories or or, or, you know like to me i i just love to see it because i mean i couldn't imagine the world without the internet in the sense that i wouldn't get to know my friend you know uh dj rush from australia yeah or I, i i wouldn't know my friends you know um mark and uh andre you know, and Shaz from from Toronto, you know, a lot of different things, you know, unless you, you're able to to travel outside of the country. And um, that time I wasn't able to. So, man, that's a beautiful thing. And a test because the Internet, 
Sometimes I feel like it's the worst invention mm-hmm. in the history of mankind, but... So a sword I, that cuts to waste. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Letty. Mm. I told you I'm the supporting actor here. No. You know, I told you he talks a lot. Your upbringing <laughs> in your career, mm-hmm. okay? Now, you went to community college. Yes. Correct? Yes. And that's where you got your first professional exposure yeah. to radio. Is that correct? I would say so because in... I could guess in radio, there's no ROP. There's no What's, like. I don't know what ROP. But ROP was like if you want to join a. Ser- I believe ROP is for like military services or maybe like police and stuff like that. Okay. Like okay. you go in. Like it's kind of like hey, if you're a kid and you aspire to this, there's like some type of system to get you there, right? Okay. There's no. There's no curriculum built out for someone that wants to be in radio, right? There's no early classes. There's no, like, for example, my sister uh, teaches cosmetology at Glendale High. So if I'm young and I want to be a hairstylist, I can try for cosmetology at a high school. Like, that kind of gets me there. There's nothing for that in radio. You would have to try to figure out where people learn radio, right? There's, like, unless you know, like, the communications degree or something of that nature, right? Um I had a favorite radio personality. Her name was Kool-Aid. She did Pocos Pero Locos on Power 106. I loved her because you could tell she was smiling when she talks. She was just always having a good time. And I somehow figured out that she went to the, uh, she went to Los Angeles Valley College and she had taken some radio classes there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to Valley. Like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go to Valley College. And while I was there, I met someone. My mom went to Valley College. Shout out Valley College in Valley Glen. Yes. Uh, and she, right near the Great Wall of Los Angeles. I got to bring this up. Really? You know the Great Wall of Los yes. Angeles? Most underrated. I put it on my uh, uh, Seven <laughs> Under- Wonders of Los, yes. Los Angeles. It's a half mile mural mm-hmm. de- that depicts the history of Los Angeles really? through the eyes of the indigenous people of color mm-hmm. and females. And it's brilliant. It's 13 feet tall. It's one of the three longest murals in the world. And it's fucking awesome. And it's so underappreciated. Because yeah, it. it is this. Mm-hmm. And it was painted it was created by 400 at-risk youth uh some of which came from the juvenile facility in silmar so i mean it's like it's pretty cool like la story so sorry valley i like your your wonder series by the way like the i believe it was an island that got like washed out or uh, dude sunken city in san pedro crazy Crazy. ruins in la but sorry sorry (laughs) so valley college represent though check that out check out the mural but go on and so they had a radio program there and while there i was on my first year there uh, but I had met someone. It's like you, it's who you know. I had met someone that knew someone that worked at the time. It's Latino was Latino ninety six three. Currently, it's Mega ninety six three. And he's like, "Hey, my friend Roxy, she's looking for an intern." And I didn't have enough credits, nor did I have enough like uh, time in in the community college to get there. But somehow, I don't know. I got an internship at the radio Good station. Job. Good job. From interning at the radio station and because I had spent so much time listening to radio, because radio is kind of like singing. You could want to be a singer, yeah. but who's to know you have the voice for it, right? And in radio, you don't know until that recording, like the on-air light turns on. Because sometimes you could have an incredible personality, but when the on-air light hits, you turn into a robot. You lose your personality. Something happens with the mic and the on-air. So when it, when it came to radio, I just knew I wanted to learn as many things as I could. Because... I come from the, I guess, the school of thought that the more you know, the more likely you are to stay somewhere. You know, the more hats that you can wear, the better. 
So while I was in radio, I learned how to make a commercial. I learned how to do like the administrative work. Like I know how to do the busy work, plus answer the phones, plus like take listener requests and stuff like that. You have to like kind of be full circle. Uh, so if you don't need me in one department, maybe you could use me in another one. To make yourself as valuable as possible. And that's like key, you know? And especially with radio, what's what's a trip to me with radio personalities is that, and this is a very odd place to be at, you are a regular person, but you deal with the biggest celebrities, right? Because they're coming in and they're interviewing. But at the end of the day, we're still regular people. And the more you can keep tapped into your regular side, yeah. the better because some heads get huge yeah. and you think you're a celebrity. You're not. You're like a glorified citizen that yeah. gets access, right? Yeah. It's a citizen with access. But I didn't do the music. Like how Jorge was talking, like, what can he contribute? And with him, it was the the photography. With me, I'm like, I'm not these rappers, but I do love the music. I appreciate the yeah. music. Um, so even like finding my way in there, uh, getting mentors. Mentorship is so big, especially in radio. A lot of what I and have gotten to be able to do, I owe to the likes of a big boy in Los Angeles, of a Charlemagne in New York that looked at me and saw that I had heart and were like, hey, we're going to help you out in this realm, in this space. Meeting Kool-Aid, the lady that I was, like loved her voice and having her be so like so welcoming in a landscape where women, for some reason, they feel like it's like just like in hip hop at a point you can only have one the girls kind of feel like that too you know like you can only be one it turns into a mean girl it can but being able to find the right ones that were like you got it let me help you i am where i am for as much of the helping hands that have brought me here as like my own work so but it did start like going into the community college and i love community college too because i think people maybe jorge went to a university right Cal Poly, Cal Poly, Cal Poly Pomona, Pomona. Yeah. 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 I, I was like, and, and at the time I was a teen mother. So like all of that while also raising my son, being able to figure it out. And with our Latino community and Latino parents, it's kind of like, like I told you about my mom when about the Disney stuff, their advice to you it can seem like wow you're hating like because they were like dude what is this radio dream like go get a job as like a dental assistant or something realistic which is not bad right but it wasn't my dream yeah and it's often like they don't understand it and many people don't especially i think for a teen mom who uh the father of my son was not in the picture to have to to have to still hustle it out and intern intern is free you know, like this is it's not, hard this work, isn't paid. Man. It's weird hours. You'd and- have to love it. And to me, it's like they have nothing but to make it happen. Because if I don't, there's a little kid that didn't have me for, for certain holidays and birthdays that I owe this to, you yeah. know? So being wow. able to, to, to hustle in that world and then become what I am now, it's the ultimate, like, you're going to do it. Like if you really want to, you're going to do it. Wow. By any means. Boy, and balancing that. I mean, balancing life yeah. as an intern in school. For and then sure, as a yeah. mother, like that's the most demanding, challenging vocation oh, there yeah. is. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure you would know, like, like even an intern or like hustling or there can be nights you can go without eating. Yeah. But as a mom, I'm not going to let my child yeah, not eat. So like I can go without having gas in the tank and I'll figure it out or sleeping in the car. But I can't have that for my kid. So you have to figure that out, you know? This is a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, Jorge, what were the biggest obstacles? So as you're starting to develop your your career, your name, your reputation, what were some of the obstacles that you ran into or some adversity? 
Um, well, living in LA, transportation. <laughs> Only because I was undocumented, so that was one thing. Like, you could drive, but it's no likely sense. if you get pulled over, you, you know, you get your car taken away. And so I didn't drive until I was 25, 26 years old. Wow. So everything, everything, you know, the full journey from starting from 2006, seven to 2000 to till I was 25, which was, let me see, go. Mathematician, yeah. 11, 11 years from now. Is, from now? Yeah. 2023, what are we, 12, 20, 2012? 2034. 11 years from now? Yeah. Or before? Before, 2012, right? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, 2012. So in 2012, so, sorry, math, math whiz. Yeah. So from 2006 to 2012, you know, I was on the bus. So all of these music videos, studio sessions, for the most part, it was on the bus, and other than that, and, and in some instances, I had really good homies, mm-hmm. you know, that were that would love or jump with or wanted to be, you know, in the mix, you know, and were really rides. good friends would give me rides. Oh, interesting. So they would tag along. So they a lot of my good friends sharing the stories that I tell, you know, that they were there because we rode we rode you know to certain places together. But then there was instances where it was like, this is brand new. I can't really be bringing around people that weren't invited. So I just had to hop on the bus, you know, and and make it happen. So that I mean, that was that well, is a challenge. Let's well, not little, don't my, even minor, poo-poo yeah. that. Come yeah, on, it's especially not, it's not now. Like, and it's like man. from Rosemead to like you, South Central, dude. Even now, as Metro's developing yeah. and getting more robust, mm-hmm. it's still challenging in some places. But to back t- even ten yeah. years ago, eleven years ago, come on, that man. that yeah. was one one you know minor obstacle in my my um my opinion. Other than that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a really big complainer. You know, I'm not like a person that you're a make it work. Make it make it work. You know, I'm like half glass half full. You know, um, I'm definitely not a person that's just like oh, you know, feeling sorry for themselves, whatever. I'm not a victim of circumstances, and so it's kind of hard to like pinpoint those things. Yeah, because I, I I felt like I was blessed abundantly. You know, like if you look at it, you look at the people. Wow. You know, great parents, supporting parents, even at that because. To my wife's point, you know, she was talking about her parents, you know, talking about things, suggesting, you know, to, to an extent, like it's a pipe dream yeah. and that there's more viable and more realistic <laughs> options mm-hmm. yeah. out there that you should entertain, especially given the circumstances of being a teen, teen mom. Um, and even probably remove that that uh, that variable. It probably would be the same, but Similar. it's probably further magnified by that variable. Um, in my case, my parents were always very supportive you know and never really like shot down any of the ideas it might have been a like a crossroads later down the road when i'm like 25 26 like hey is this gonna are you sure this is what you want to do you know are you sure this this is the the people that you want to do it with and i'm like and i would say i wouldn't do it with anyone else you know because even take any type of like uh monetary you know um gain out out of the picture with the people in and right now current day even if we weren't making the money that we make or that we've been able to the opportunities that we were able to afford our you know ourselves um just genuinely good people yeah. you know that i would trust my life with and i would yeah. trust my family with so you don't get that and not everybody gets that you know like there's always like an a you know a hidden agenda with the people that you do business with sometimes or the people that you consider friends so I've gotten extremely spoiled in that sense but um yeah for me it I just like I said I just I never was a I'm never a person that thinks like this is 
the obstacle other than maybe having an abundance of money and resources, you know, yeah. to to create at a faster rate than I would like, you know, then well, that's that's obstacle that, that's an obstacle yeah. to a degree. But other than that, I mean, I think everything, you know, it's taken its course in the time that it was meant to. And, you know, I'm a, a firm believer that it's not my plan, but it's God's plan. There you go. OK, Aww. talk to me about the uh, Nipsey Hustle era and just how everything went down and what Nipsey meant to Los Angeles. And I got a confession here. This is the truth. So again, I was in West Coast and then I started getting dissuaded away from or diverted away from West Coast hip hop. Mm -hmm. I started getting to quote unquote underground and I'm talking stuff like uh, Little Brother, Chaotix, mm -hmm. like Last Emperor. And I started kind of turning my back yeah. on West Coast hip hop. Underground right? hip hop is amazing. I was, but I was yeah. buying into the whole like West Coast. It's like bullshit mm -hmm. lyrics and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, they're talking about the real shit, all this kind of stuff. And the lyricism is more complex. I was yeah. into the mm -hmm. intricacy of the lyricism. So I'm going to be honest. At, in real time, I missed the Nipsey Hustle mm -hmm. era out here, right? But obviously in retrospect, seeing what he signified, what he represented, tell me about your relationship and how that kind of came to be and what you did in, in into Marathon. Absolutely. So Nipsey and I crossed paths even before we were before we, we shook hands and I, I this was um, back in 2000 and I think 2008 to the early early part of 2008 the very same year that we formally met ironically enough um, I remember Nipsey was at a game music video shoot in the Hollywood Hills off Maholden Drive called for a song called Games Pain with Keisha Cole and um, he he was there now I see like um, behind the scenes footage and it just so happened that we were in such close proximity it's kind of crazy now you know cool. in hindsight obviously yeah but um that was our first time probably being around each other that i can recollect thereafter um one of my good friends um will who used to do music under the rap moniker of mr don't know um he he put me on to nipsey for uh, one of nipsey's first mixtapes bullets ain't got no name volume one and he's like, you got to check this out. I know, you know, you're knee deep in the game and you love mu rap music. This guy is the one. And I said, for sure, where's he from? He's like, he's from South Central, Crenshaw District, Crenshaw so and Slauson. I'm like, this guy, you know, his music is special. And so I listened to Volume 1 and I'm completely taken aback um, just by his, um, his story, his lyricism, um, his delivery. And then I, 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 then I, you know, with things that I love and I like, you know, that I like and that I, furthermore that I love, I, I kind of do a deep dive on him and I look at, you know, music videos and photos and everything. And I'm just like, this guy has all the intangibles, you know, of somebody that is meant to be a star for one, but for two, that's just special. You know, I see how he articulates himself um, outside of like, you know, being in the vocal booth and recording music and his interviews, the way he, he he expresses himself and the level of articulation and introspect that he has on the, a wide array of different subjects and how he is just a genuine and authentic person you know like i feel like this is the truth i don't i don't i i, I there's no asterisk next to any of his stories or red flags to what he's talking about and that attracted me you know even more you know to to his music i was like oh man i'm i'm sold on this yeah. So I, I listened to from volume one, I, I volume two drops thereafter. And 
when I hear Volume 2, you know, Volume 2 is the hottest shit in the streets of L.A., without a question of a doubt, you know. At the time, you know, Game had a stronghold, you know, a chokehold on, on West Coast rap music. And there was, you know, the J-Rock and, and, and Glasses Malone, you know, that were emerging. And it was kind of like a question of who, which one of these two guys is going to be the heir to the throne, so to speak, you know, symbolically. And then Nipsey came out with Volume 2. And, you know, all due respect, I love Glasses and I love J-Rock. Yeah, those are my homies. But when Nip came out, it was just different. You know, he definitely took the lead in the race, you know. Then that's just part of the game. There's a, there's always, you know, passing of the baton yeah. or, or someone just grabs it and takes it there and runs go. with it. And in the case of Nip, you know, he just he, he definitely ran with it. And, and having done my research on Nipsey, watching the music videos and looking at the photos, I was like, well, maybe I can – at the very least, off extend the olive branch with like an editorial piece that I shoot and write, and that might be one and done, right? That was the thinking, or maybe I could shoot some publicity photos, you know, pro bono. Like this is how invested I was, you know, into Nipsey's story. I'm like, this is somebody just because you bought into I you. Bought into you were it. like, I'm in. I'm like okay. he's the truth. He's yeah. the truth. There's no question in my mind. He's the truth. I felt that then, and wow. I feel that now. Okay. Um. So. I use the uh, you know MySpace again now so I go I, I, MySpace again comes in as a you know a useful tool I reach out to Nipsey um, via his his artist page and off you know just introduce myself very briefly and explain to him that I'm you know I'd, I'd love to shoot him for an editorial piece or even if he needs publicity photos because he didn't have that many that many photos at the time that I felt like were like the representative, the, the representative that were really the quality represent photos that yeah. he needed he had he had a series of photos I forget the photographer's name. Um, he did, a, I feel like, a really good job. He shot, like, the campaign for Bullets Ain't, Bullets Ain't Got No Name Volume 1. But thereafter, I felt like he was still, like, that was a void, you know, in his in his branding. And so I said, well, this is what I can, you know, this is how I can extend the olive branch. And lucky enough, uh, not Nipsey himself. It was through Nipsey's page, but our brother Adam, who's, like, Nipsey's brother, like, they grew up together. And he was, like, managing his page at the time. He was gracious enough to, um, through Nipsey's page, you know, reach back out and invite me to a music video set for um, Hustle in the House. And so at the time, you know, I, I obviously jumped at the opportunity because this is, you know, a big single, you know, that was set to be the, the lead single to what at that time was his debut album called South Central State of Mind. We're talking about the tail end of 2008. But um, also, you know, big a big song off of um, Volume Three, Bullets Ain't Got No Excuse Me, Bullets Ain't Got No Name, Volume Two. And so, um, I made plans to meet with Nipsey on Crenshaw Slauson for his music video shoot. Um, and while I'm making these plans, I realize, you know, I'm still in college and I have a midterm that same day, <laughs> oh. and I don't have a car. Uh, okay. So I'm like, okay. all right, I'm gonna have to make this somehow work. And so this, I usually, you know, when I was in college, I would try to make a lot of my class schedule um, generally like very morning heavy so that I can knock out all of my yeah. academics in the morning time and then in the you know later you know in the afternoon evening I'm able to hustle and you know do what I do you know but um in this instance in this particular instance this uh, college professor you know I requested to to take the the, the, the midterm earlier in the day if possible um, because I knew that that was a thing and that other other students have done that in the past from what I, I kind of um, grasped. And so I asked the, the, the professor if I could take my midterm early. She said it wouldn't be fair to the other students. So 
I raced, so I took, I think I took that, that, that midterm like around two or three in the afternoon and the music video at this point has already started. And so I'm feeling like as a photographer, you don't want to miss yeah, these fleeting I'm moments. I'm losing the shot. I'm losing, I'm missing mm -hmm. shots and, and yeah. I see the music video and I'm like, I missed that one. I missed that one. I missed that one <laughs> in hindsight. But, um, and I, I, I run through my midterm, which thankfully I think I got, I might've got like a B plus and minus. So I, all right. Mm -hmm. So it was still, I was still good, clear on that cover. I race out of there. I hop on the. I think I hopped on the bus, the foothill to the Amani bus station, then to back to back to San Gabriel down Valley. And my boy Wero, who's a well-known tattoo artist, specializes in lettering. Um, I we um, I hop in, you know, he put he, he um, pulls up on me at my home, in my apartments, and hop in with him, and we we shoot down to Crenshaw and Slauson. And as we're nearing, you know, the Crenshaw district specifically, the intersection of Crenshaw and Slauson. Um, it was quite the sight to see and hear. Literally everyone out there um, was out there with, you know, no other intention than to be there to champion Nipsey. Wow. It was really something special because I've been around a lot of artists and I, I hadn't seen that. And I still haven't seen that to this day. And literally every car that's going through the intersection, every motorcycle that's going through the intersection, um, any person that's carrying, you know, some type of like little mini, mini speakers in their backpack yeah. is playing, you know, something of Nipsey, wow. you know, from volume one or volume two. And I said, oh, shit, my, you know, my suspicions were right. This guy is is the one and especially in this section. And so um, when I got there, there had been a little situation, you know, one of the shots on, on 63rd and Bryanhurst where, you know, Things got a little bit, you know, uh, got a little, uh, got a little tricky, you know. So I was like, "Damn, is this pop? Is this gonna be a good place? You know, is this, is this the best introduction for us? You know, is the shoot, is a, is this music video shoot gonna get shut down? Is something gonna happen?" But um, by the grace of God, it didn't. And so I'm waiting for Nipsey right there at uh, at the Shell gas station on Crenshaw and Slauson, which is situated right next to the plaza where the Marathon Store is situated yeah. at. Um. And a white Bentley, you know, pulls up to the to the Shell gas station, and out comes Nipsey from the driver's seat, and he, you know, has a sea of people that are trying to get his attention, and he's just so thoughtful and generous to give me his time and make you know the proper introduction, go straight to me, and make you know we we shake hands, we have a com a brief conversation, and I'm like, look, I'm gonna follow you, you know, like throughout your your you know your shoot, and we're gonna shoot you know, portraits as we can and I'll shoot behind the scenes and this is how we're going to do th this thing. So that was our, our first introduction. That Formal was introduction. The tail end of 2008. We shoot, you know, portraits at um, Hustle in the House. Between 2008 leading into 2009, 2010, we shot, off, we shot several like one-off projects, like editorial projects, you know, for pub publications domestically and overseas, hip-hop related, some were um, tattoo related because you know there was a lot of publications, a lot more then at the time that were like hyper focused on tattoo culture, and that was that was um, we we did that we did I got invited back to to shoot Nipsey to shoot the repackaged um, album packaging album art for Bullets Ain't Gone No Name Volume Three. Because from a fan's perspective, I'm seeing it and I I saw the artwork for Volume Three and it was shot in New York on a stoop. 
And I said, this is a South Central story, South Central LA story. I'm like, this doesn't really quite connect, but I get where it could have happened yeah. because he was recording a lot in New York at the time and it might have been a matter of convenience, but neither the wardrobe that he was wearing, the jacket he was wearing, nor the 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 environment in which it was shot aligned with the music or even his personal story or his personal style. So I was kind of like, man, that's a disconnect, but I mean, what can I do? Yeah. And sure enough, I get called, you know, by Adam once again, you know, from the team. You know, was managing a lot of like the music affairs and administrative affairs with Nipsey at the time. And he, he when he calls me, I have a gut feeling and I'm hoping and I'm crossing my fingers that it's to to reshoot this yes. packaging because I'm like it it was that that album art was just such a huge disservice to the quality of music and the story that was being you know told in volume three. And sure enough, that call, you know, that call just so happened to be that. And so we shot, I shot and de designed Bullets and God on Name Volume 3. So that was our first official, like, actual collaboration where it's yes. like you're being commissioned to, you know, to come out. And from there, so like 2008, 2000, uh, 2010, one-off projects, the mixtape. And then 2000, uh, November 2010, Nipsey is, is uh, departing Epic Records, his former uh, record label, because there have been a, changing of the guards over at epic records a lot of things had been were shifting and in all reality he he had a, a independent artist spirit you know all along so there's a lot of things that were conflicting and truth be told i don't know if uh, uh the, at, at the time a company like epic records fully understood or gauged you know the level of of artistry and genius that they had you know the responsibility of like exposing you know and a lot of it was like hyper focused on things that were cliche or had worked in the past for the West Coast. So, like if you were to go to his website at the time, there was like bullet shells flying out. Yeah, it's out a of, big label. It's corporate, corporate approach. No, no, no. It just looked. Like, it, it looked like super crib, super sensationalized, and it just didn't align with like the like full picture of, of bullets. Nipsey. Yeah, gang. Like a corporate yeah, mentality yeah. of portraying that. Yeah. Is what I mean. Whereas yes. there's an yeah, authentic not, not side to it, you know. Corporate, but mm -hmm. like somebody's like, these are the check boxes that yeah, we need to hit. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nipsey, you know, at the time had a recording studio on um, Wilshire and Alvarado. Okay. Right. Um, he had two recording studios, and a third office space right next to his recording studio had just become vacant, and so it's a combination of him leaving his record label him needing to kind of rebuild his team uh, or or add new members to his team that would fulfill certain obligations that the label kind of fulfilled categories and check that they kind of checked off. And also this office space has just opened up. So he reaches out to me personally this time. And he's like, hey, bro, look, um, I'm about to leave Epic Records. And one of the things that I need most, you know, on this new journey I'm about to embark on to go going to India again is uh, my visual branding and i think that you know your t your talent and skill set can really and my skill set can complement one another and i think you might you know like there's this uh, there's this office space like that just became available next to two of my studios that maybe we can go half on and uh, you know i was elated at the idea because i'm like i've never had an office before <laughs> And of all of all people, you know, Hustle is asking me to do this. Yeah, so, cool. you know, like this is a story that I definitely want to cover. This is someone that I feel like is deserving of, you know, um, full time coverage as you know, and, and dedicated coverage. 
and so we you know we both uh, signed on to the we, we signed to the lease you know for this space we went half and half on it and um at this time nipsey was finishing his his uh newest project at the time which was called the marathon okay which came out in december 21st of that year so just you know little less than a month from when we we got the office space he's finishing it up so i'm catching a lot of tail end of the music yeah. but and, but i'm kind of having to pick up on creating like the visual um story for for the um for the project and so my my uh, approach to my photography especially at that time was a lot of it was like photojournalism it was photos that are uncontrived it's real moments it's you know i think you know the the former label and you know epic records kind of missed out on because everything was kind of like very posed and very yes. very architect where in this case it was like this is your real life again to see nipsey with his with his family you see nipsey as a business you see nipsey as a father you see nipsey as an entrepreneur you see nipsey as a son because there's pictures of him with his dad in this in this like catalog of photos you see the highs you see the lows you get to you get the whole human experience of nipsey which i think is was super important to to highlight because you know he's not this one-dimensional person but a multi-faceted person that does a lot and lives a real life yeah you know so i th- and i and ultimately i think the combination of sharing that visually and also creating he him creating the marathon brand which is an identity that anyone can attach themselves to you know and said in saying i'm going to set a long-term goal and i'm willing to crash through the different hurdles and be patient and operate on faith and hard work to get to this goal who can identify with that so i think it was a combination of both what we both brought to the table and the yeah. team brought to the table that you know cut through so clearly and allowed you know his his brand to expand beyond you know the corners of you know people that like gangster rap or or you know from south central la or from la like i think more people were you know gravitated to to it because the message was a lot more identifiable and the authenticity so this is when i get back in the picture real time mm-hmm. where i'm like whoa nipsey hustle you know it's probably like 2012 yeah. 20, where i'm like oh who's this nipsey hustle and it's just something even from at that point i'm an outsider for real we're like wait it's it's different it feels different it looks different and you can pick up on that authenticity and that that inherent sense of community like within not just the product and the image but then what you're hearing at that point it kind of all dovetails together where you're like okay now even me again older outside mm-hmm. guy i'm like okay this is what it's about and this Undeniable. is like los angeles mm-hmm. at that point you know how they say so tupac does like for all intents and purposes, when he did his thug life era and he was thug, that he played into that in order to reach a certain community yeah. of people. So, and but people would always go in on him that that's not really where he came from, that's not really his background. He's acting. Yeah. Nipsey was that in true identity, right? Where he's reaching this community because he comes from this community, yeah. but while he's there, he's lifting them up. Elevating. Like he's Ele- teaching them business. He's teaching them their spiritual take on things and they're just read a book on things, you know? Uh but I think that's really important where we have this superstar like a Tupac who knew in order to reach the community that I want to help save I have to portray myself in this way. Yeah. Whereas Nipsey was like, I am that community. Let me finish essentially 
that is a is a marathon in itself or like a, a relay in itself one passing the torch to the other now you know and that's that's a great point because that's one thing that like the hardest people to reach are people in the streets you know mm -hmm. people that are involved in you know in, in the streets you know at whatever level it's like you're not going to take the message from no one else other than someone yeah. that's been in your shoes yeah and you know to what letty said earlier like albeit there's been other artists you know that have used that as like a, a you know that story as a vessel you know to get to people with yeah. a positive message nipsey was mm -hmm. the real deal he lived it none of none of anything that he said or or, or spoke about was fabricated mm. you know and, and in all honesty a lot of stuff probably is downplayed you know wow. whereas it's very nor normal in hip-hop to sensationalize things yeah. you know to to elaborate on things to add a couple of scoops on things to make them seem more interesting and nipsey at no point was a person to glamorize or or sensationalize things he just gave his story you know in the rawest and most authentic format and also you know um had, had you know always, always put a little bit of um a, always put a lot of a, not a little bit a lot of game into into yeah. to um his story and into his music um anything from you know an interview to a music video or a live performance or a you know a mixtape or a song there's always something to to draw from nipsey which to me you know i always took pride in and being you know involved in that and being close to that you know like that that goes back to that conversation where you know my parents asked you know i remember my mom asked like hey are you sure like huh. this thing's <laughs> gonna work out you know yeah and i said i'm a thousand percent certain and even if it's not in the in the sense of like monetary gain mm -hmm. this is something that's purposeful it's had a real yeah. impact yeah. A yeah. tangible i'm, I'm saying i'm saying this being transformative for people yeah. you know to a point where people are being are making more conscious decisions, you know, on their actions and the environment and their environment and how they want to interact with that environment, said environment. And that's not only people coming from the streets, but just people in general. Like, you know, we we and having, you know, gotten to do tour management for Nipsey later down the road in two thousand from two thousand fifteen to nineteen, um, I was with him virtually every moment in every city and getting to see, you know, a lot of people of varying uh, ethnicities and ages and genders um, coming to these, you know, either meet and greets or concerts or even club outings and them coming with books and resumes. Wow. I said, this is different. Mm -hmm. This is different. This is unique. And this is something to me that's positive, you know, because people are taking their life seriously and they're 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 taking they're grabbing the bull by the horns and really like you know making sure that they do the things in the manner that they want to do and we we're leading the charge with that through our example and so i'm like that's more valuable than any amount of money you know could ever amount to and naturally from what i what i know like there's a the, uh, the money always catches up you know, when there's something that's that pow powerful and influential yeah. and we're doing it with the right intention, you know, ahead of, you know, everything. It's not it's not trying to get the money and we're trying to make it look good so solely for optics. This is is what it is. When you're building something that you truly believe in, mm -hmm. that comes from your heart and you know it's substantial. And look, I'm, I'm going to make this about myself mm -hmm. uh, for one sec. 
like, look, I, with Ellie in a minute, I put in a ton of work mm -hmm. for zero dollars. But yep. I'd be like, oh, you work too hard. You're, do, you're how you do too many videos and all this kind of stuff. Like, slow down. You're going to run out of stuff. I'm like, no, my concern is when I'm 83 years old, yeah. I'm still going to have a thousand videos that I haven't shot yet. And like, but, and then people, oh, you're doing it for money. You're sacrificing time, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, I love it. And I know that eventually like yeah. that's going to come, but that's not why I'm here doing it. Because again, for me to shine a positive light on this city, which in a completely different way, obviously with what Nipsey was doing and what you're doing, it's like people recognize and they recognize that it's genuine. And it comes from the heart and it'll come. The rewards are going to be yeah. there, but like they will become byproducts of yes. you pursuing that purpose versus if you're pursuing the money, which is supposed to be a byproduct you're losing already. Dude. Plus, to, to the point you're making, it's very hard to explain passion to people that haven't haven't really, like, uncovered that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Really haven't been able to zero in on those things. Like, you, when you do have it, you wish it upon everybody you come in contact with. Hoping and praying that they're able to have that fire lit inside of them. Yeah. That, that fire is fervent, that, that lights up fervently regardless of the conditions around them and the environment around them. It's a wonderful thing, man, yeah. like to, to feel that. And going back to Letty for a mm -hmm. sec. Now tell me, I got to know about how the Big Boy opportunity came about. Yeah, and it was really cool. And shout out to Big Boy because I think ultimately now we're on uh, competing stations. <laughs> but that's my dad. Like, that's my dad in the that's state. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. And it took him, like, I remember I had met him at a Rock the Bells. I'm an underground hip-hop head, too. And you're like, you're you went there? I, oh, okay. I was super, yeah. like, living legends, atmosphere, hey. like, feral Monch, like, all of that. That's my vibe, yeah, right? Um, so I come, I, I remember I had went to a Rock the Bells. And what Big Boy does, which I love, like, he's always campaigning. You're going to see him at every concert. You're going to see him at the boxing matches. We're running to him everywhere because he knows like you stay relevant by still being there with the you listeners i know he even would ride buses or pull up to his favorite spot so that's the example that i'm seeing right but i had met him at a rock the bells and i had went up to him and i was super shaky and i was at the time i was uh, a weekender jock in a station in palm springs where i would drive out there on the weekends drive back in time to take my son to school on monday morning like it was a lot um, but I had met him and I was like super just hype. I took a photo with him. That that stops. That 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 happens. Uh, a few months later, I get let go for budget cuts from this station in Palm Springs. But I had met someone by the name of Jeff Garcia. He does the sport. He would do the sports at the station at the time, the sports news. And he was also in charge of the board ops, so the technical stuff, the behind the scenes things. And I had done, I was on air already, and some would say to take a position, like kind of like in the background, would be a step back. But to me, I'm like, no, any way in is a way into a station like Power 106, yes, right? Yes. And Jeff at the time was like, hey, I'm looking for board ops if you want to do that. That's not on air, but come do a board op shift. And because I had learned it, because I had taken the time to yes. learn multi things in the radio station, I was able to come in as a board op. And while I was there, What's funny in radio and even in podcasting, you never know who's listening. I'm sure you're going to run into someone like that listens to you or watches your videos and you're like, what, you? Yes. You're a fan? That's a trip, right? So uh, <laughs> while I was board hopping, uh, the night jock, Eric Deluxe at the time, he was, he was leaving the station. And so they were looking for a night jock. And my boss at the time 
there's so many departments in a radio station, but the the programming director at Power was getting told about this girl in Palm Springs that another program director heard and was like, hey, maybe try her out. She was on at night, on the weekends. She sounds good. He contacts that radio station, gets my number, then calls me, and I get a call from work because I'm working at Power. I'm just working as a background, like yeah. as, as a yeah. board up. And he's like, hey, Letty, my name is Jimmy Steele from Power 106. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, you're my boss. Like, it's, you're my boss's boss, right? And he was like, well, there's a situation at the station where we're looking for a night jock, and I heard about you, and I just want to know, like, where are you at? Like, where are you at right now? And I was like, dude, I'm at your station. Like, go down the hallway, yeah, three doors exactly. on the left. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, oh, you're that Letty. I know he didn't know who it was, but it's like kind of just to save space, save face. And he's like, send over your air check, which is essentially a demo of you being on air. Right, I right. sent in an air check, and he puts <laughs> me on overnights, which is like dead of the morning like 1 a.m probably to like 4 a.m but while i'm on air or like while i'm on air the morning show's getting in and there was a time i had i had not met big boy formally at the station yeah. yet and one of my friends was like hey i got donuts they're in the other room big boy had his own studio they're in big boy studio if you want to go get them I'm not used to Big Boy being there. He kind of gets in a little bit later. So I'm like, oh, I'll slip in there, grab a donut and leave. Yeah. Um, I slip in there and he's there. And it's kind of like, you know, the the Homer Simpson meme where he kind of goes back into yeah, the bush. I'm like kind of slowly just going towards the, the donuts and I'm grabbing one while they're prepping for their show and I leave. And then like didn't say anything. I just didn't want to make a noise. Didn't want to bother anyone. So I'm filling out my paperwork like that we do for as uh, for the show. And I go have to go back into the main studio to put it away. Big boy's in the main studio. And he's like, hey, so I didn't want to be rude earlier and ask, like, who the fuck you were. But who the fuck are you? And I was like, oh, well, I didn't want, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't want to make noise. But I'm this person. I actually met you before. It was really cool to meet you at Rock the Bells. And he's like, oh, so you like hip hop like that? And so I started talking to him about rap. And at that time, he had a co-host. This is also why I don't take vacations, by the way. He had a co-host who was on vacation. And he there was a girl filling in for that co-host for her new segment. And he was like, he liked our conversation so much. And he was like, do you do news? And I was like, yeah. I didn't know what news was. I'm like, yeah, I do news. And he's like, all right, come tomorrow with like a couple news stories. And we'll try you out. And so... I was kind of like scripting your own. Yeah, music. so go okay, tell me okay. what you think I'd like to hear Ooh. and bring it. But me being such a hip hop head, to me, this is like, like back of my hand. I like I just knew this stuff, right? I knew what was popping at the okay. moment. This is before you could go on Instagram and have the rap blogs tell you yeah, what's what's yeah. like the top headline. You'd have to search for it or be in the know. What albums are coming out? Whose birthday it is? Like what's the talk of the like the the culture at that point? So I brought in news stories and I tried out with him and I ended up filling in for that co-host for the rest of her time on vacation. So then I go back to my overnight shift and a couple months later I get a call in like the middle of the night and it's the producer of the morning show. It's Jimmy Steele, our head like, hey, do you mind filling in until we find a new co-host because we like we're not moving forward with his co-host at the time. And so I'm like, cool, like, yes. And that Hold started on. mental me, note. Don't yeah. take any vacations. Don't take any Got vacations. Okay, That's on, definitely on, yeah. one thing I learned. Yeah. So I go in and I was supposed to fill in until they found a new co-host. And 
it was really crazy because they would bring in girl after girl to shadow me to then try out. So I never felt safe. Like I never felt like this was my yeah, spot. Just keeping the seat warm. Yeah, it's exactly. But it turns out that Big Boy was like, you know what, Letty? Especially at that time, I had barely come from being a weekender to now I'm co-hosting or filling in in LA market one slash two when it comes to radio wow. morning show big boy historic legendary right legendary and so I'm doing that and it's an opportunity that I'm not gonna let fall so you're gonna bring in however many girls from wherever how much experience but they're not gonna know hip hop like I know hip hop no one knows hip hop like I know hip hop is kind of where my confidence okay. came from uh. and I could also like quote unquote rough house with the boys a lot of that show is like joking like like they had this thing called O Session where I'm gonna make fun of how you essentially beefing or, or dissing or freestyling on on air and a lot of times girls are like just be the giggle box just laugh just tell us the gossip but here's a girl that could joke back with you that could make fun of how you look just like you make fun of how she looks so she could like hold her own yeah. and I think that that couldn't be found in other people that came in to try out for the job and one time big boy set me aside and he's like you know what let the i could find a girl with more experience i could find a girl with more connections like a lot of times jocks know artists and stuff like that i could find a girl that has more availability i was a teen mom at the time still so it's like even finding that he's like but i can't find someone with more heart than you and he's like and that beats out anything and so he really pushed for me to be that co-host. And I was uh, his co-host for four years. So they were still not able to find a replacement for me. And that's what he did. So that, that to me, like, I'm forever grateful. However, I think that often with girls in this, we're kind of meant to be the supporting acts, the co-hosts, the sidekicks, wow. and all of that. So to now kind of take on everything that I learned from the machine of Big Boy and Big Boy's Neighborhood, to be like, I could be Mike one too yeah. and build that and then now be that on Power 106. It's kind of like, it's a beautiful evolution to me where I know again, like I'm his competitor, but he's taught me everything. I, I come from the tree of big boy, you know? And I think that ultimately it's kind of like someone taking over the family business, you know, wow. and being proud of that. Cause he's spoken to me to how proud he is of me. Yeah. And I told him, like, everything I know, I know because of your grace, because of the way you are with people, and because of just the execution of being on air on the radio. So all all love, regards, and respect to Big, but it's a really cool story, and I would hope to give that, like how you said, pay it forward, to give that to somebody else as well. Okay, so, man, so talk about now mm -hmm. with your position where you are one of the prominent voices of Los mm -hmm. Angeles, and I... Honestly, I didn't even put in those terms, but you're right. right. Like in a lot of walks of life, even still yeah. females are sort of relegated right. or expected to take the second yeah. chair. I, I never thought about it in those terms, but you are number one. Right. How does that feel? And, and what do you do to kind of, yeah, pay that forward? Where's that going? It feels really cool for the next kid is how I feel. I was watching this documentary on a, on a young lady that won, um, that won a, like a Miss Universe pageant, right? And she had a disability. So then she created her own pageant for other women with disability to partake in it. Something they feel left out of, right? Uh, or normally wouldn't be a part of. And one quote that she said is, we win so that others can dream. 
understanding that I'm doing what I'm doing, but it's also in the grand scheme of for the next person, for the next crop of kids that's listening, maybe for the teen mom that doesn't see an, uh, yeah, an incredible. example, but to understand like this is for you. And even in our home for our children to see like a woman be, can be conducted this way. A man can we as immigrants, as Latinos, as Hispanics, all of that. Right. Um, and I think even understanding that with any woman I come across or any any talent that I come across or a radio personality, I always pour into them about continuing to do it, that you're a star. If I'm the confirmation you need to keep going, please keep going. Because a lot of what ends up killing our career is that we don't continue. Yeah. Is that something has given us some sort of like discouragement and we fall into that whereas i'm here to give you that encouragement to continue doing that within the crew like none of, you've met the crew none of them are radio expert have not been in radio but i brought all those fools That's on so fun though yeah yeah, yeah. to understand that yes yeah. that they belong there too because ultimately what we want to present towards the listener is themselves and it takes someone with no experience it takes someone that's more like like of the of the culture they say like you're e you're either industry or in the streets to see that someone is from where you're from and now talking to you i think that beats that trumps it all you know beautiful is that what your ted talk was about the girl definitely for women for how did sure you get a how did that come to be it, jesus christ <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, it was really cool. It was really cool to do that, especially because at that time, I was still on faith. At that time, I had left radio. And granted, I was doing well. I, I had jumped over to the other station. I was on air at nights. I had I started dating Jorge. Um, and understanding... That's up next, by the way. I'm yeah, yeah. to the love story. But now, yeah, go, go, But go, even yeah. understanding that we're severely underpaid, um, just naturally, uh, like this is what's gotten in radio. Like the industry isn't paying what it did it did before. Um, women even worse. And I think just understanding the the sweat equity you're putting in, and there's something like you're living out your dream. But why do I still feel like my integrity's gone, or why do I feel like I'm sacrificing other things that I shouldn't be? Right. Um, my spirit was just telling me, like I felt like God was just doing go. Like you have to stand up for yourself, yeah. and. At the time I had left, especially with encouragement from Jorge and from Nipsey, like they come from the school of just do it yourself. If they're not, if that partner, because ultimately your job is your business partner. Yeah. If wow. that partner is not doing you well or treating you right in this partnership, leave. And that's hard to say to somebody that grew up in the nine to five that is like, no, like a product of the system, essentially. It's hard to do, man. It's hard to do. Super. Because you're you're stepping out on faith and it's a lot of a lot of it's a small steps towards like any sort of mountaintop. Right. Yep. And to say somebody, you got to step back to step forward. Like, yes. It's just hard. To, it's to hard to take in. Yeah. But their confidence in seeing what they built allowed me and helped me have that confidence for myself. So when I did that TED talk. <laughs> I was talking about how the next time I'm in radio, I'm going to come back as a partner and not as an employee so that I feel like I'm bringing a show. Like I literally say that at the end of my TED talk, who's to say that was to happen? At the time, both both stations in Los Angeles, one had fired me, Power 106, and one I left. So it's like me saying I'm going to come back around. That's like saying <laughs> she's going to take me back. I know she is, right? 
And the fact that I was able to build something as undeniable and, and along with uh, my co-hosts Duno and Vic, build something like the Brown Bag Podcast yeah. to where we're selling out the Novo as a live show for a podcast wow. to now Power 106 is looking for a morning show and like, hey, do you mind circling back over here? No, you couldn't tell me that would have happened before. Because once you're out, you're out. Like, yeah. they don't want you back. They don't want to deal with you. You're a has-been, quote-unquote. So to come back with such, like, with such an influence and impact and to be Mike One. Yeah. And it not have to be at the cost of, like, oh, she's Mike One, but it's because she keeps talking about this. Or it's Mike One because she keeps gossiping. No, I'm Mike One because I really genuinely entertain people, <sighs> you know? And, it, and you had, we interviewed, so it was like that type of a conversation where we can just be one-on-one. Yeah. Like, you, like we see eye to eye and we're able to laugh and clown. That's what wins. It has nothing to do with exploiting. It has nothing to do with Talent, like what you would think work, would be babe. the, yeah. especially now, like the, the clout chasing. We're not that type of a show. It's beautiful to see. It is beautiful. And this goes back to Jorge. I saw a mm. quote. I don't remember if you said this or wrote this, hmm. but it's kind of long. But but hear me out because it goes. <laughs> it's it's a surprise. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Art and commerce can coexist. Don't buy into the philosophy that artists have to starve in order for their work to remain authentic. Your creative vision is a valuable contribution to the world. Make sure your business acumen complements your artistic endeavors. Yeah. That in itself says everything. And Letty mm -hmm. was ar articulating that well. But expand on that and how you live that. And to this day. Where, where you're going with that. Yeah, I think oftentimes the story of our most revered artists is that they never got to see all mm -hmm. of the- Fruits of their labor. The, all, of the, all of the fruits of their labor until after they're gone. Mm -hmm. And then they become these massive, you know, uh, figures and, and culture. And their estate is the one that amasses all of this money or whoever purchased the painting at some point or, you know, just so happened to hit the lottery ticket and you know, is holding on to things or selling things off. And so I think it's always, you know, before you even say this guy is a, is an artist, you, I think you always put the word starving artist. Mm -hmm. It's a fucked up thing, you know? Um, Fuck. And I don't think that has to be the case, you know? I, I think in my situation, my perspective, not that, I, not that I haven't seen anyone else do it, but it's unique in the sense that you gotta be able to, to juggle you know you can't be afraid of juggling different things so while i was you know pursuing photography as a career uh and writing you know and doing editor you know writing editorials and shooting editorials um those weren't always very generously paying you know in fact my first one was my highest paying and then thereafter everything went down Shit. whereas usually, that industry yeah. changed yeah man. usually you know and, and most other businesses you know your first job is usually your lowest paying Stepping and then stone. Mm -hmm. it it's usually goes up incrementally in my case it was the opposite you know like <laughs> i remember my first editorial job was for urban inc magazine i shot margaret Cho and glendale of all places yeah. and then, um, the 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 sh I, and 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 at that shoot was Weddle who went to Nipsey photo shoot, With just kind of cool. And 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 Will, Mister Don't Know, so I got is you know a lot of a lot of reoccurring players, characters, yeah. yeah. But that one I remember was for fifteen thousand dollars. Damn. And I said, oh, they get they they opened up the floodgates. Yeah, this is just the beginning, <laughs> yeah. baby. Yeah. I, I, I thought I was gonna be rolling in the dough, and I'm like, I'm gonna be doing. They never seen this shit before. I'm about to do 
five photo shoots a day <laughs> and pull up to shoots in a white Rolls Royce like uh. a Marvin Gaye. This is what's going on through my in my head. I'm like, it's over. Yeah. It's done. And I'm writing the story. So what else can we do here? Fortunately, that was not the case. Mm-mm. And so when I soon came to realize is that the editorial business was not only not well paid, well paying rather, but also uh, paid on terms of 30, net 30, net 60, mm. net 90, <laughs> or net never. Yeah. You know, um, oh. I realized that, okay, you gotta, you gotta reawaken or reinvigorate the hustler spirit, you know, that was, is always in you and you gotta exercise different muscles and different, you know, different things. And fortunately, you know, in being in business with Nipsey, you know, he always was, he was never selfish of uh, allowing opportunities to do so. So I'll give you like an example on how we were able to kind of eat together, you know, in a, in a non-traditional fashion, right? So when we when we shot the marathon cover and the marathon packaging, you know, that project was a huge breakthrough project. It was critically acclaimed. Um, it was, uh, you know, a stepping stone to, you know, a new brand and something new and exciting and was a lot a lot more widely adopted than previous projects were before even though the previous projects were absolutely mm-hmm. deserving of it yeah that said one of my thoughts was like okay well we're we're, we're both working on shoestring budgets because you're indie and you know we're barely keeping the lights on and we operating you're operating a store on Crenshaw Slauson and there's a lot, a lot of overhead right so it's really not an opportunity and I'm not looking for like a you know uh, to be hired you know I want to be a partner and so I was like, all right, well, how can I create value for myself? So I thought of selling um, the like lithographs of the album art, which is not commonplace. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that's done like on a 20 year anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, maybe we I'm like, Nip, if you feel comfortable with this, you know, I want to, you know, so I could, you know, keep the lights, you know, lights on and and things in motion for myself as well and, and be the you know be in the best spirits that possible so we can create like we like to cook you know without it, the obstruction of money i'm like i want to sell um lithographs of this um album art that we just did for the marathon and i want to sell you know a hundred of them for a hundred a pop and i have this print house in alhambra that's a mom and pop spot that does art you know fine art prints for and, and at, at the size that we we're printing at 20 by 20 for like 15 dollars you know, where you go anywhere on the west side, fine art prints of you know this of this size are probably t- twice or triple the price. So I got lucky there too. Shout out to my boy Ken who put me on to <laughs> to J Six Creative and now Hamble. We're still in business. But uh, by the way, I love how throughout this entire interview, you're always giving the respect and naming the people. I I love that. I got to that's man. important. You know, man. it takes it takes keep, a village for the success yes, to happen. And keep going. Keep you know, going. hopefully my name will be shouted on a couple. Yes. You know, down the road, that's the goal. But saying all of this, um, I saw I sold we sold these lithographs, and what was cool about it was that they were signed and numbered by both Nipsey and I. And so that's part of one way of creating opportunity through your art. You know, like a lot of people would overlook that and just be like, oh, it's just a mixtape cover. And in this age, it's going to live digitally and it'll nah. be right. here today, gone tomorrow. You know, but um, that actually, I forgot to even even mention how this idea even came about. There was a, a sports agency in, let's see, I think it was a, in London, a sport agent in London who a lot of his athletes were fans of Nipsey. And he just happened to reach out through my website via email 
um, for you know uh, a print that was 50 by 50 of the marathon cover and like two or three other images. Up until this point, I hadn't sold any. Trying to figure, envision mm -hmm. that. How big, like, it's bigger than that? Uh, that's probably like 36 by 36. Okay. okay. I was just yeah, so it was, it was larger. It was, wow. it was huge. It was massive. Okay. And he reached out. And this up until this point, I hadn't sold any prints. You know, I hadn't offered any prints. I hadn't had any requests for any prints. So it was kind of encouraging. It's like, oh, this sports agent from London who has these big-time athletes is reaching out because he wants some of my work. Mm -hmm. And he's an admirer of not only my work, but Nipsey and his athletes are as well. So I'm like, this is dope. And so I remember doing that transaction. And I think it was like two large scale prints of, of Nipsey photographs from that campaign and the marathon cover. And I think it was for $10,000. And so I said, huh, there's something here. You know, the same feeling that I, the same sensation that I had when selling sneakers or drop shipping. I'm like, I, I'm, doing it but with something that i created that yeah. i collaborated in that i had involvement in the rest of the stuff i was selling somebody else's you know, IP. Print. yeah yeah mm -hmm. and so I, you know i say this to say like you gotta you gotta be resourceful and find uh create opportunities for yourself through your artistry and not not you know sell yourself short and sometimes it's not entirely unfortunately sometimes it's not entirely your, your well-being or your livelihood is not going to be entirely dependent on your artistry while you're while you're, you're on the grind and on the come up and those checks you know those big opportunities aren't quite there on the horizon yet sometimes you gotta you know like i said exercise the entrepreneurial muscle and find other things that you know make money for you legitimately and you don't get caught up and you know thumb football numbers and go to jail for life you know because you're trying to do something stupid or something dumb but you know people do what they do it is what it is but that's that's what I meant. That's what I meant specifically in that quote. It's just like you gotta make things happen for yourself. And ideally, in a world where it can be through artistry, like me selling lithographs. Yeah. You know, like I thought that was kind of cool. It's like even kind of crazy it's a because great example. Yeah. So this was in 2010. Several years later, like around 2000, well, 2014, after we dropped Crenshaw, the Crenshaw project, and Nipsey did the Proud to Pay campaign. Yeah. He did the hundred CDs for a thousand dollars, or excuse me, a thousand CDs for a hundred dollars a pop. Um, we did a both Nipsey and I did an interview with Billboard magazine, and was he a, was that was like the first of that concept, and then yeah. that kind of got copied, right? It kind of like, got copied, but copied it. yeah. The thing is, not everyone can copy it because it, right. no, it has to, has be, to be something yeah. there. Engage an engaged fan yeah, base, super engaged. You know, others have tried, but just ha it hasn't yeah. been as successful. Not that they don't make money, but they make money in other ways. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and which may, maybe ways that we didn't make. This right. is what it is. That's how the game is. But I say this to say, we did this Billboard interview, and then a week later, Eminem dropped um, a new album, and the album and the cover for the Billboard magazine. If you were to put it right next to, right next to the Crenshaw album cover, was an exact replica of the uh, the art execution, which was kind of cool to see. Yeah. To even add to that story, uh, Eminem dropped a campaign, his own kind of like proud to pay campaign. Yeah. But it was like instead of just solely being the CD signed and numbered, it was uh, a CD um, and merch bundle. So it was the CD, a T-shirt, and a fine art print signed by Eminem and his photographer. Eminem and the photographer. Wow. So I see all of these things, you know, yeah. and it was kind of like I, I don't mind it. To right. me, it's it's flattering because I'm a fan of Eminem. Yeah. And I know his team, he has a machine, you know, that. that yeah, it probably wasn't him, him personally. And I, and yeah, I don't yeah. mind it. To me, it's like, that's what it, that's what we do it, it for. So other people can, you know. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, imitation yeah. is the serious form of flattery. So when I see things like that that ha- have happened along the road, and there's several things I could point at, I'm like, that's that's confirmation. We, you know, and validation. We're doing the right thing, and like, just keep going. So to all the to know all the artists that might be listening, you know, like the only people the only people that can can stop you from making money is yourself. Mm. You know, that's it. Just gotta find it. You gotta find it and and figure out what your angle is. Dude, I'll tell you this from my angle right here, and I mean physically looking at you both. I see how Letty is literally gazing in Jorge's eyes mm. when Jorge is speaking and Jorge is looking love lovingly over at Letty. This is, and, and look, I sort of frame this going into yeah. an interview. I'm like, all right, what is this? Like hip hop power couple. Well, it's not like in that vein. Cause you'd imagine two performers, Los Angeles cultural, but there's clearly like a true love story mm-hmm. going on here. And both are power players that have great inspirational stories. How did you guys come together? What is the story, how you met, how you fell in love? I know the engagement story, which is mm-hmm. pretty dope, but I want to hear this kind of laid yeah. out because I'm a sucker. I'm yeah. a romantic. Yeah, I'm a romantic too. Jorge's not so much. Jorge's very, I always say like he's cerebral. Yeah. He's very, very like up here. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing, especially within our, like the dating scene within what we do, right? I think essentially, like I, I had mentioned to you, Coming up as a woman in this industry, it's easy to get caught up in the, wow, there's men all around, there's rappers, woo, like I wanna be a rapper's girlfriend and things of that nature. And it's easy to get caught up in that and then you lose your identity, any success that you want because you're easily typecasted as a certain type of person, right? And I think with me, I was very set on, no, this is business, they're gonna know me for my work, I'm not gonna be known for the extra stuff. And I had met Jorge because of his work with Nipsey. He had came in, and what's beautiful about just Nipsey in general, at least from my perspective of things, is they know that the bonds you make can can help make or break you. And he, they were very close-knit with the radio station. They were doing things, community stuff. Like, I remember that our street team would be giving out Nipsey's CDs. And a lot of us that came up learning about Nip, we physically played his CD. We physically have one of his projects. Whereas everybody else was MP3 or, or online, he knew they still got to hustle physically, right? And so the station would be a partner in that. And... Nipsey came through for an interview, and it's funny because Jorge has a photo of that he took of Nipsey in the interview with us. Again, not knowing what would transpire, right? I remember it was Crenshaw. Crenshaw was about to drop, and they had a release party of sorts at Youth. Is it Unfair called Facts, yeah. Unfair Facts? What year is this, by the way? This 2014. Is, yeah, okay. because it's it's the Crenshaw okay. tape, yeah, and they said, "Okay, I I wanted to go." I wanted to cover it for the morning show. And they're like, okay, call this guy. Here's his number. Call him when you get there. I called him when I got there and I was instantly attracted to Jorge. He was wearing an LA hat or a Crenshaw hat. Hat tricked her. Yeah. Stop. He's wearing <laughs> hat fished. No, I I'm a I'm big I'm big on voices. Okay. I yeah. liked his tone of voice. Yeah. It's odd. Very unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I talked to him on the mm-hmm. phone the first time, I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, you always like Picture. TV face, mm-hmm. TV yeah. face. Stop, stop. <laughs> it's it's radio face. I have a t- oh yeah, radio yeah, face. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
what I found awesome about him is how respectful he was. Because often, low-key, when there's a Latino in the crew of, like, a like if it's a, a black rapper or if it's a, a rapper in itself, like, and they're coming to the station, sometimes they have a lot, there's a Latino that's there, and more than likely, he's going to hit on me. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to get hit on by someone in the crew. If there's a Hispanic, more than likely, I already know he's going to come hit at me, hit on me. Jorge never was like that. He was very respectful. Hey, do you need do you need anything? I got you. Awesome. To the point where I'm like, damn, dude, am I not good, like good right? Job, good job. To the yeah, point where I was like, that's it. yeah. Um, and <laughs> that helped me later when we we're dating and seeing how they were everywhere. I understood how respectful he was towards me when we were just associates. To know I can trust this man. A lot of times you get like, don't date someone like this because they're in strip clubs, they're at clubs, they're around beautiful women all the time. Temptation is there. Um, But I saw how respectful he was towards me. That stopped either of us from from making a move. It was actually a mutual friend Mm. who had said, and she's she's an angel on her own accord. Um, Shout out to Laura because she was working with Jorge on charity stuff and they knew i'm sure you guys have known each other previous to that um and i had known her because she was a like she worked with the brand young and reckless so she was my she was my connect for that and i remember we were at my it was our it was my birthday we were having a birthday dinner and we're just talking about what you're looking for in a guy and i was like you know what yeah i was like i need someone i need someone that's ambitious that is close to their family and that believes in God and understands like this is bigger than us. Like we have a purpose beyond ourselves. And in her brain, she was like, oh my God, Jorge is your husband. And I was like, wait, I had known him from his work and from his photography. And what's crazy is that that, that very same dinner, he had DM'd her cause she had posted our, the birthday cake. Like when they told me happy birthday. And you had messaged her like, tell Letty I said happy birthday. And the same thing she told me, she told him. And so it was kind of like, we probably wouldn't have made the first move, but yes. because we had her kind of confirm it. Good job, Laura. Yeah, yeah. shout out, Laura. From um, MySpace to Instagram. To Instagram. Dude, right? <laughs> but at the time, and, and I'll give you a little bit more of our little drama. Um, he had a girlfriend. The whole time I knew him, he had a girlfriend. And it was funny that... I knew that I liked him because there was a Young and Reckless event and I had seen him. I know he was a photographer, so I'm like, he's probably there shooting. Ironically enough, in the Hollywood Hills again, the most important people somehow in the Hollywood Hills. In the Hollywood Hills. (laughs) And I was like, okay, like, I'm going to talk to him. Like, I don't really know anybody. I see him, like, I'm going to talk to him. I go up to him and I hug him. And he's like, hey, nice to meet you. Nice to see you. This is my girlfriend. And I, like, my heart was crushed and that's how i knew like oh i feel something for this guy because i was genuinely disappointed to find out he had a girlfriend i hug her too like hey i'm a hugger like this was nothing i promise um and i kind of left it at that like oh he has a girlfriend whatever i remember i had seen them again at la live and it was just another like hey still with his girlfriend cool um i don't even remember that yeah and it's crazy and it took laura being like no, they're not together anymore for us to even, for me to think that's an, uh, a possibility. And for him, I'm assuming clearly, to to go on a date. So from there, we were DMing and we were talking on the phone. Yeah. And like, and then the rest is history. Then we went on our, fr- to our, on our first date to, to Connie's in, in uh, Inglewood. Inglewood. A marisco mm, spot. Really? Yeah, it's really good. Shout out to Inglewood. Wait, is that Connie's? 
seafood, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, the place mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, that mango ceviche. That was yeah. your first date, huh? Mm-hmm. That's a great yeah. spot. And she had to work that same night, so we talked all the way on the way from, um, she lived at Burbank at the time. Yeah. Drove from Burbank to Inglewood, Inglewood to Burbank. Yeah, I was telling everyone, like, the, the moment, you know, it's like when you know, you know. Yeah. Um, At that time, we had been, like, I'm sure you were dating and I was dating, but what stuck out with Jorge was the fact that I could have a conversation with him. A lot of guys, I know you guys like to think you're the big ish, but a lot of guys are ditzy. A lot of guys, once you get past their car and what they do for work or maybe sports, there's nothing you could talk about. It's just like, what is there? People in general. Yeah. But I know like girls are are more labeled as ditzy or airheads, but guys come in that too. Guys come in airhead too. So Jorge and I were able to, like we could talk about aliens. We talked about immigration. (laughs) Like we talked about music. We talked about our families. We talked about so many different things within that first date. And I always knew like beauty comes and goes. How we physically look is going to get old and wrinkly but the conversations that we can have yeah. that can be forever so i was always told like choose someone that you can talk to yeah. and so understanding that on our first date we spoke from when he picked me up to when he dropped me off and i was still happy and i was very like excited and thrilled about it it's like no this is it this is the guy yeah, yeah. so much to-, to the point that three months later we we got pregnant yeah we're me- we're fertile Ooh. We went on the, the the fast track, yeah. but it's all good though. Yeah, it's and all good. No no reluctancy, no no uh, regrets on my end. No and then hers, so, all right, so three <laughs> months later, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Not yet married. Yes. So how, when did the engagement? How long after was that engagement? And I want to hear that yeah. story because that's a pretty bad. So Jorge ass. was already born. So Jorge was born already. Okay. So he was about he was a couple months old at that yeah, time. Yeah, he was. If it, well, he was born in December. That happened in April. Now were you got well. I mean, yeah. you're parenting together, but were you inseparable? Were you living together? Like we were living together yeah. at the, the time of uh, okay. engagement. Yeah, we were living together. Had you been discussing marriage at this point? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think we never thought we weren't. Granted, I do have a child from a previous yeah. relationship, so I knew like maybe this isn't going to be the forever. Yeah. But I also knew that Jorge had stepped up in ways, and he had presented that this is like he's not looking for other things it's not like this is my girlfriend yeah yeah Yeah. um (laughs) even when we got pregnant i had i had my own home already my dad lived with me uh my dad and my mom are separated and my mom has since moved on my dad not so much and so to me it's like i'm gonna do whatever how can i have this big house and my dad live alone or like or live in a in a small space or at the time he was living out of his van um and i'm like no you're gonna live with me so when we got pregnant the first thing i told jorge was like hey if you either plan on moving in or if we plan on moving out my dad's coming with me like not only do i have my son but i have my father too and what was beautiful was that jorge was like yeah, I never thought different. He's like, if it was up to me, my parents would live with us too. You know, it wasn't something that turned him off. It was something that he's like, yeah, no question. We're going to do that. And so we had moved into the San Gabriel area. And from there, like building our family, yes, Jorito was like about four months old and it was Easter. I was plan. I'm a big planner for parties. So I'm planning everything for the group of people that we're having over. And like you, you can kind of explain it more because I didn't plan the engagement. But I planned an Easter party and I thought that that's what was going to happen. There was a lot going on. There was a, a petting zoo. Yeah. Right? With the, there with was little, little bunnies. Rabbit, little bunnies. Yeah. 
there was me trying to like cut corners on expenses for a party because when we do parties we have like over 100 140 oh. people yeah. at the house you know family and friends and so i you know i i uh, volunteered my friend john shout out to john um i volunteered him to to cook the carne asada and I bought like maybe like sixty pounds of carne wow. asada from yeah. Calimex. Hell yeah! And, a bunch, and he was just like grilling probably the entire party. So it's like organized chaos. Just the carne asada, just tons and tons, yeah. clouds of smoke coming out of the grill. You got the petting zoo, you know, in such close proximity to. to all, it's yeah. kind of funny, but um, then um, the house music, you know, like then the mariachi coming through, then the Easter egg hunt, the kids running through, um, families, you know. Uh, telling war stories and sharing you know you know what's going on in their life in each respective table at yeah, the party yeah and so i already planned to to get like i got like a faberge like egg and put the, the 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 ring inside and so when the kids went and drifted off to do the the egg hunt, the egg hunt you know part of one of those one of the eggs that i had a, you know carefully planted in my pot in my pocket and then mixed it in with the rest of the eggs that i was picking with uh, our son jorge there was an egg and I said, hey, what, do you know about this one? And she's like, she's looking at it like, what, what, I didn't put this one. And um, sure enough, when she opens it, she sees the ring. And that's when the proposal happens. And in I front thought, of everybody? Yeah. In front of everybody. Ooh. In front of everybody. And it's I, I had a, I, one, two of our friends uh, d- documented. One was on the video. One mm-hmm. was in photo. Our photo was by our, our boy Andres, who's also a dope photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and... We didn't think, I didn't think much of, uh, obviously the moment, yes, but I didn't think much of the idea of proposing with an egg or, or an Easter. Or on seemed, Easter. seemed like commonplace. I'm f- I was sure that, that in that very instance, around the U.S., there's probably thousands of people doing the same thing, you know, because it's when a, a large family gathering, usually when some people choose yeah. to propose, to come later to come to find out that that video goes viral and it goes on uh, <laughs> it gets picked up by what was it good good, daily. good day no good morning, good morning america. america wow good morning okay. america yeah. then, oh shit yeah okay. then later because of that gets picked up by like the biggest <laughs> of all places uh, the biggest russian uh newspaper <laughs> covers yeah. it as well <laughs> and then later and this is the funniest one because I don't she she's a public figure. I'm like behind the scenes or whatever. So uh it was funny. People magazine reached out. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. And I think it was more That's so cool, again for the presentation of that. it. Yeah. The fact that the, yes, people probably get proposed to on Easter. I, I still don't think that's that common. I don't want to no, say no, anything. But I don't no feel like one that's super professionally common. Professionally like photographs it right. or you know, like Andres, who is our a uh, uh, mutual friend of ours, he shoots for big publications as well. So there's probably an editor from somewhere that follows him on Instagram that had seen it and was like, Hey, this is a story, you know? It's just the even the the circle of who they are and who we are and it was just really beautiful and present and the presentation was gorgeous um to me it was scary because it was on april fool's day so <laughs> that that year easter landed on april 1st so i kind of look at him because also oh, jorge no. didn't get down on a knee like he was just standing there and i'm like is this a joke and if it is no, i hate you you cannot <laughs> yeah, I hate about you. that he's a jokester with not with that though but not he that's that. like he's in that realm and then i'm like i'm looking around and i'm like i don't like he's not on his knee i don't know what to do i i had um 
bunny headbands that I was passing out to the kids. I'm like, I have them in one hand. Like all of this felt like again organized chaos. Um, so it was really cool to see and beautiful. Like with our son to be the one that kind of could present it and and honestly like it was just it was a really really beautiful moment and we got married within a couple weeks because he was like all right so when do you want to get married yeah to me i thought like hey i was gonna have this wedding to plan out yeah but they had to get on the road too. nipsey was traveling and again jorge not being documented he couldn't come back if he were to leave or there was deferred action and stuff like that that. because he was a dreamer as well to to go to paris amsterdam but we had to get it going as soon as possible you know um i think that still to this day and i love that you're romantic so am i i need my wedding one day um because i think we were supposed to plan out to do it in the next year so uh we were gonna get married through to get stuff going for like the citizenship stuff but within that year a lot of tragedy hit you know nipsey passed within that year so that of course is gonna derail things life happens i tell people all the time when they get married the the negative part of the vows are there for a reason it's not all daisies it's not all roses like you're gonna get hit with the sicknesses you're gonna get hit with the downtime all of that's gonna hit you and it's gonna be the true test of a marriage and and so to be prepared for that because we get prepared for the bachelorette party we get prepared for the bridal showers we don't get prepared for the downsides right and often we feel like this everyone else's marriage is perfect so understanding like that hit us within the first year and then covid and everything it's just like figuring that part out but it's it's been a ride still a beautiful story yeah don't forget about that wedding Mm -hmm. then because i still we actually had a nice wedding. Not like mm-hmm. a, 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 a. Yeah. We got married in San Fernando Mission, by the way. Which That's is so nice. amazing. Which dope and historic. Yep. And then we had a reception at the Sportsman's Lodge, which was now tear, torn down. and is wow. Which is that Erewhon, by the way. <laughs> no but, way. But, yeah, so, so we got our receptions in Erewhon. No. Hold it would like that. No, I always he loves joke with, her, uh, with the scene of Father the Bride when Steve Martin is envisioning a backyard wedding. Yeah. And he's grilling up like in a plaid shirt. I'm like, Let's do That's that. Perfectly fine. <laughs> we, John, John can have a hundred pounds of carne asada this time. You're so. But my hilarious. proposal was kind of weak, so I know that sometime in the future I'm gonna owe my wife like a real proposal. Mm-hmm. What was the proposal? Dude, we were in a fight. Speaking of the ups and downs, and I had the the engagement. And I was like, it was already planned. And I'm yeah. Super romantic. Mm-hmm. Super romantic. And I was gonna. I was like, dude, but it's got to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's got to be amazing. It's got to be something like yeah. this yeah. story. <laughs> And I was like, we were in a fight. We were on the phone. And on I the was, phone? Well, no, 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 Hold no, no. On, so Evan. we were on yeah. the fight. The fight was on the phone. Got you. Okay, okay. And it was like a serious, serious yeah. fight. You know, At but, that time, but, how long were you guys together? Shoot, let me think. So we started dating in 03, and I proposed probably 18 to 20 months, so okay. almost two years. So we were like fighting on the phone is what I meant. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just do it now. And it was in the rain. I love the rain, by the way. Yeah. I always find the rain like Notebook. romantic and stuff. So I was like, I'm going to just yeah. go over and do it now. So I stopped at Starbucks and get like her favorite. I don't remember what it was at times. It was like yeah. a vanilla latte. Her or order. Whatever, yeah. whatever her order was. And I also got like an empty cup. And I put the ring inside the empty cup. And then like I pulled up in front of her house yeah. and I was like, hey, come outside. She's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. You know, you're like <laughs> yeah. fighting. Go away. Like, what, yeah. a, what a time. And yeah, I was like, I was like, no, no, like, you know, I got some Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Like, j- let's just talk. And I was like, what? What? We talk. We're, I mean, I hate you or whatever. <laughs> 
And then so like when she came out to the car, I was holding my star and I gave her the empty one, right? And then she was like, what? You know, and you feel that it's <laughs> right, like that, empty There's cup, nothing but, in but there. The, the yeah. Yeah. In the so then I got it down on one knee and like proposed. Like, in right, the rain. In like her front, in her front yard, like on the car. Yeah. And then also actually had her drink too. But which is cool and it's cute. That's but like really I want to do cute. like. Starbucks like, needs to know that you did this. Wow. Because that would have got the in. coverage. I know. I had nobody filming it. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, it's impromptu. Yeah. It's kind of like it wasn't how I planned it. And right. It was cool. She said yes. And we ended up having a great wedding. But yeah. Like you said, wedding is, I mean, marriage is, marriage is ups and downs, yeah. man. That stuff happens. All right. So we're going to close out with the segment I always close out with. One thing to do in LA this weekend, you're going to do this. But here's the twist. I'm going to ask Jorge and Letty. Mm -hmm. You're together on Sunday. You have a babysitter for the kids and you get to go around the city. You got four, six, maybe even eight hours. What are you doing? What's your one thing to do in LA? That we've done previously or that Whatever. we would do just, just to us. set up Whatever a perfect you, date? What's what a special doing? thing? So what I try yeah, to do for like the segment, like it. right? Mm -hmm. It's like Sunken City yep. or like City Hall. There's an observation deck that you go up for free, see 360 degrees around the city that I feel like, yeah, people know about it, but I feel like more people need to know about it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I mean, one of our, our favorite restaurants and might not be like so much a hole hole in the wall so to speak yeah. but it's one that i think we both like in fact we had like for the wedding that we did have the reception there which is catch one of uh, you know two of our good yeah. friends um one has worked there and one still currently works there uh, chef eddie is the one who we first met and then chef adrian who's like the executive chef at, at catch anytime we go out there it's, you, you know it's like the red carpet is rolled out and you know it's one of the hot restaurants yeah. in LA whose hype lives up to yeah. you know to its name because the food is actually very good. Um, this service is, very is phenomenal. For her to say cat. <laughs> no, but but yeah. you know we, we went to the first one in the hood. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, that's all right. But yeah. I would do catch because I like good food and yeah. I'm a foodie, so I would probably we probably could go to catch. Um, after that, we I mean you could damn near full. Maybe burn off a couple of little calories. Take some some of the scenery. This would be something. That I'm embarrassed to admit that's relatively new yes. and we haven't shared yet, but we sh I shared it uh, just on a random Sunday with our older son with Jorge, who's, who's six. We went to uh, Echo Park to the Swans. There Swan, Lake. Swan Lake. Don't so be embarrassed. We yeah. This is perfect. No, this I'm, is saying, perfect. I, I'm embarrassed to say that it, it, I just recently he just did, did it. it. Like he has I, I was it. aware of it, but I just did it recently. Yeah. Um, and other than that, no, 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 hold on. That's a great one because mm -hmm. honestly, I have not done that yet. It's amazing. So yeah. tell me, tell me about it. Give me the details. Pa All I know, paddle? it's like a little paddle boat. Paddle boat, yeah, with your foot, like mm -hmm. foot. Um, it's really cool. I mean, I've driven by it countless times. Same. Yeah. Countless yes. times, yes. and I just thought, like, maybe that's reserved for tourists or hipsters. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, well, I like certain things that are touristy. Yeah. You know, I, I, you can be a local tourist, as one of my good friends, Eric, used to say. Be a tourist in your own city. That's that absolutely one of the yeah. things I start with. Yeah. And so, I, you know, uh, there, you know, with, with Jorge, you, we're, we're very much uh, vagabonds. We like to be out and about. You know, we're not homebodies. My I'm wife a is a homebody and our little boy, Luis, is a homebody. Yeah. Ah, like if he had a choice to go out and st or stay home, or he would stay home. home. Yeah. Whereas Jorge and I, the minute we have a second to drift out, we like we're, wow. we're out okay. and about and doing everything and anything. Since he was a baby, you know, since he was a baby, we've been like this. Like I remember with Jorge going to 
third wheeling it randomly for my friend Gordon. He's like, hey, I want you to meet my girlfriend. I'm like, sure, but it's like 8 o'clock. I'm with my son. We're just driving around. He's like, yeah, we're gonna we're about to go eat at Tao. You want to go to Tao? So Jorge is probably mm-hmm. like six, seven months old and a little like teddy bear, like uh, winter suit. Yeah. Uh, and I and I'm I'm over here. I'm I'm pulling his um his stroller that converts into like a little what is it called uh, oh uh, a car seat, a car seat. into car a car seat, seat stroller. car seat Duna. stroller Shout the out Duna. Duna. Yeah. I'm carrying it down the stairs at Tell, and this he been outside since then you know yeah. like it's never wow. been a moment but I say this to say Jorge and I we went out um couple maybe about a month ago we go grab some food um where did we go did we go we went to did we go to whole box this in south yeah, yeah i think we yeah. might i think we might have gone to whole box a couple of my buddies i play basketball with have you been there no okay but in that little area it no stopped, it's like though. a it looks like a like, like i would say court. like a yeah but it's historical i think it's called historical south central yeah. something it's it's a little food court in downtown la i think that's a cool place to for people to visit because they have different uh cuisines oh you're talking about grand central market no oh, oh you're talking about so, yeah. a whole box yes. yeah so they have different cuisines so if you want to get your like your seafood you can there seems like a juice a juice place or like yeah caribbean uh it's a it's a cool little spot and you feel very like mercado la paloma is that it it might be mercado la paloma it might be is that where the whole box is at i believe so yeah there's a couple of of different restaurants it feel it feels really like you're you're gonna try stuff from other parts of like the world but it's still los angeles so we went to we went to whole box that that afternoon and then after that, I'm, I, sometimes I just drift around and drive around the city, yes. visit visit old yes. old landmarks, personal landmarks, things mm-hmm. that are significant, discover new things. That's a guy thing. I hope you guys know. It is to drive around and to just it. like go explore. I so love it. And I love it my wife be, likes it though. No, because with, with you, yeah, right. And I I enjoy it with Jorge. Yeah, but I think, and especially your your wife's Mexican. Yeah. We're meant to, like, we're told stay in the home, be protected, be safe, all of that. It's different if a woman were to go out and just, like, for example, Jorge taking the metro everywhere yeah. when he was younger. I don't know that I could do that by myself, you know? Like, even it's a woman different. walking al- alone at night, it's very different than a guy yeah, walking but alone driving, at night. But driving, you're, like, safe yeah. in your car and But all I that. feel like, I don't know, like, a girl would be like, hey, let's go get a coffee and go like to home goods yeah. whereas the guy thing is like let's just go see how far la goes or let's go pch yeah. or something right. like that oh, yeah it's, one of my oh, it's no, a dude thing it's things. a dude thing definitely the pch point that mm-hmm. you made when i first started driving i'd be like from san gabriel 10 10 west to the 101 north exit sunset right sunset all the yeah. way down all the way through beverly hills oh, bel-air yeah. brentwood uh, pa- uh pacific palisades and then sunset ends and you get pch you can go left or right yeah you want the long, you know, you go right and go all the way into Malibu, deep Malibu. And again, not to be like cornball LA guy, but everywhere you go in LA, whatever freeway you're getting on, whatever off right you're getting True. off of, there's something cool to something see. Scenic. Different neighborhood, yeah. different community, different culture. And it's like totally agree. Dude, I love but Letty, what what's yeah, your well, what, one thing to so do? So he this gave you the yeah. bougie part. Yes, yes. Oh, and then I the pedal be, boats, yeah. Oh yeah, paddle boats. Paddle well, yeah, that That's ended cool. out really nice. <laughs> Um, I'll go on the budget friendly. Yes. Um, one of our, uh, and I think everyone should visit these because I don't know how much longer we're going to have them around these parts is a sizzler. You know, there's one on Los Feliz. There was one everywhere before. There was one in Eagle Rock that I used to go to a lot in Tahunga slash Sunland that I used to go to. Um, there's one in Inglewood still by the forum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Inglewood by, uh, the Fox Hills Mall. Isn't there one by the forum? 
Oh, there is one. Yeah, yeah you're right. So I would visit it. I would visit a Sizzler, get a double Malibu chicken, have a great time. Um, if you were able to drive, you know, like Christmas lights are great around this yes. time. There's this one street that's by our home. Um, so say hi to us while you're there. It's called St. Albans in Honey on on Huntington Drive in St. Albans, and this is San Marino. So it's beautiful. These trees are massive, right? And they cover them in lights. And it's a nice little drive. It's a very short one, but like a short block. But the trees are so beautiful that if you like seeing views and you've already done like a candy cane lane or the one in Chatsworth or different uh, lights, you'll enjoy Hold that. Hold on. Isn't that Altadena? No, mm. St. Albans is in San Marino. It's San Marino. Right off of Huntington. It's for sure San Marino. It's, um, it's, it's, right, it's in the Alhambra, San Marino, San Gabriel little area. Um but it's a cute little it's a cute little street that you could go have your coffee uh, and and enjoy Christmas lights with. Which if I me and Jorge were to leave the house and it's like, hey, what do you want to do? I would want to stop by. Like I'm like, hey, can we drive by and see that? Common request. Yeah, is, it's really beautiful. Is that different than the Christmas tree lane? It's its own Christmas tree lane, but it's not as big. Um, I don't know which one you're. So there's about. a Christmas tree lane in Altadena. Mm-hmm. That has they're called deodar trees, and I know this because this is the oldest Christmas tree, the oldest really Christmas light. Yeah, like set up, That's, like block yes. set up. Yeah. So this year was their hundred third year. No way. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same. And one. if it's not, then that's close enough that we could go look at that one. You should. That's yeah. that amazing. Too. You know, first Gravity Hill though, the you know where we oh, put the no, car scary. in neutral and yeah. see if it goes up. I, will, there's, I think yeah, there's there's one, there's one in that? our our t- side of town, and I f- I'm assuming there's another one. I, 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 I think it's an alta. D- I think it. I think it's an optical illusion, but yeah. unless you put baby powder on the back on the back and of see your the hood, little kids push you. Yeah, back of your trunk and see if it. If you I see love some our hampers. little urban legends. Mine's um, on Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa. and Altadena, but good to know. So I need Saint to go to that Albans. one. Say Albans, yeah. Okay. And like I think even in that area, the arboretum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. is really beautiful and it's in that side of town san gabriel and, and stuff like that town. It's beautiful. so beautiful under I'm scenic s- i've undercovered the 626 to be honest with you yeah and i know there's a lot out there a even Food, that 210 culture, like los angeles crest and all of that i know when we're talking about like views of pch and other and other freeways that 210 i feel is underrated because it's bit there's not that crazy traffic and there's a lot of mountain you know it's really beautiful i appreciate so it it's funny my wife's family lives in rancho Cucamonga, oh, okay, gotcha. so we're, we're on the two t- i drive through the 626 yeah. all the time. but the two t- i'm always telling my kid who you know wants to be on screen i'm like dude Look outside. Look like how Definitely. beautiful it is. Yes. And then when you're turning that part, I think it's in Pomona, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Where, like, at least coming from where yeah. we come, and he, it turns, and then the mountain, like mm-hmm. massive mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that we take it for granted. Super. Yeah. Like, dude, we this is real mount. We have beach, obviously, right? But mountains, like in our city, and and we're like, yeah, of course, we have beach, we have mountains. It's Los Angeles, but. Most that cities aren't happen. like no, that. Like that's amazing. Happen. And then you're looking at you, pre- yeah. especially after the rains last year, gorgeous, where everything the was like super bright green. green. It's like we're in Brazil, like, dude. I was loving it. I, I have was... a friend who's even from even out here. He's from Mid City, yeah. And he's like, let the you wake up and you see mountains. Like I wake up and I see buildings. Like yes. so to even understand like the beauty of that, like always appreciate that. So I would say take a ride on the 210, go to St. Alban, see some, and of course probably stop by the Altadena one. Yeah. Um, 
and in find a sizzler because they're they're gonna be extinct soon Man, and they're good hope not. the 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 salad bar is delicious <laughs> clam chowder. the clam chowder is great um do you have you been to fisherman's outlet no is it fisherman's Whoa. outlet wait 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 wait, wait 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 come wait, wait. on la in a minute this is Evan. la in a minute tell me. material tell, yeah. tell me I'm this yeah. is like a hot spot of monday it? monday through saturday it's like on fourth between fourth and third on Central. Fisherman's Outlet. I'm looking mm-hmm. right now. What is? Talk to me about it. What is it? It's just really good. It's a yeah. it's a good fish spot. Real clean. Um, grilled, uh-huh. steamed, mm-hmm. fried. You yep. need to go. There's probably a story to it and because it's, it's, a, it's right like, in the center well, of like too. downtown. It's very industrial, and then there's fish. It's like, and I, recognized by the city of Los Angeles as a landmark. Absolutely. Restaurant. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. It's like a melting pot of di- of all of LA mm-hmm. meeting in one yeah. place to eat. And you know how people in and out dress up like they have their own outfit too. Like they have their own look too. The the servers. Boom. Man. We got them, babe. Good job. We're but yeah, no, nah, Fisherman's Outlet, there's definitely one. You still got to do your L- L.A. Athletic Club. I know, you're yeah. pushing. You know, because they blew out, what, 143 candles or 143rd candle or something crazy like that. I think yeah. a thing with us, too, because, sorry. A lot of the founders, a lot of the founders of L.A. Oh. members. Ooh. Yeah, like, there's some big. Charlie there's Chaplin. History, early, but there's history early, there. early found- founders, yeah. Uh, so Jorge and I, I remember he asked in our first date, or before our first date, like, what's your favorite food? And so I told him I really like seafood, I like ceviche, and that's why we ended up going to yes. Connie's. But I think he appreciates seafood as well, so that's why we like Whole Box, which is like they're known for their seafood. Yeah. Um, liking Fisherman's Outlet, I think that's like a, a thing with us. Like seafood, definitely go try it out here. Of course, we have great tacos. Of course, we have like great steakhouses. But there's also great seafood places out here yes. in LA. Yes, dude, Pacific Ocean. True. All right. On that note, thank you, Jorge. Leti Paniche, this was incredible. You're cool beans, um, Evan. Thank w- you. It's cool, honestly, seeing you guys. First of all, I'm such a sucker for the immigrant American dream mm. stories here in Los Angeles. And Jorge's your stories undocumented, not just making it, but like blasting through the door yeah. and really creating, honestly, creating a legacy with your brands, with your photography, just with your verbiage, like, again, I love talking mm-hmm. to this guy because it's like the genuine warmth on top of all that intelligence, yeah. you know, and, and a good heart. You're and, making me blush, And man. a good spirit. <laughs> He's and very like, Devin. Letty, <laughs> ridiculous because mm-hmm. what you've accomplished, again, as a Latina female, mm-hmm. yes, but look, this TED talk, like things yeah. like that, but setting an example for people in Los Angeles and from my heart, being from Glendale, yeah. 818, like represent. But again, I don't know how to frame it. Right. It's like, it's a power couple, but more, th- it's, it's that's cliche, that's corny. This is like Los Angeles right here. Yeah. And I'm very honored that you guys came to the studio, uh, the I Am Studios, and I just want to thank you for being here and thank you for doing this episode with me. No, thank, no, thank you. you, man. You know what's crazy is I was telling Jorge too, because the same word you're trying to grasp, I was talking to him about it because a friend of, of his, and is, who's a, pa- a painter, Gustavo, yeah. um, he had a gallery with Mr. Cartoon that Mr. Cartoon curated, and while we were there, it was a surprise to us. He had painted us, us with our two sons, me carrying Luis and him holding Jorito and us holding each other's hand within a, a setting of 
of Crenshaw and Slauson. So you saw you saw uh, Slauson Donuts. You saw Nipsey with the at the Create Academy. You saw the store and us walking like as a family unit. Yeah. And the example that we set simply by just existing is what people are looking at. Like not even what our individual stuff is, yeah. but like us as of the family unit that we are and what we're doing together. It's odd. Because we didn't say, hey, let's get together to create, like, this power couple. Or let's get together to, like, be the, like, Latino, like, Kardashians no. or not, none of that. A but it's cool to see that people not only are inspired by our individual work, yeah. but by the relationship itself. And within our community, seeing the people that are there, people from Born and Raised fans to Mr. Cartoon fans to, like, Marathon fans to fans of what I do with Brown Bag, it feels really cool to be in this space of creatives and like latinos slash chicanos slash mexican americans and i am half salvadorian too so just like latinos in general in los angeles and seeing them look at us as a figure together is is odd it's weird but it's it's beautiful because it's bigger than us now you know so. It, it is beautiful yeah. and that's why I, I archive everything from the boys because if it's not a museum for us which I don't I wouldn't think yeah. I think it's definitely for the for boys them. yeah because <laughs> it's for them that's what it's about as a future you guys are both leaving a very proud legacy here in LA and beyond thank you, uh, thank, so you. thank you guys thank you again to Letty and Jorge Paniche this was a fun interview I'm telling you right now we could have stayed here for probably I don't know 12 hours I, I had to kick them out. I got places to go. They got places to go. But man, what a great story and great people, most importantly. So thank you for sticking this out. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you did, leave me a five-star rating. That's important. But even more important, take the 20 seconds to write a review. It helps me get up there in the algorithm. And the latest review always appears on the page. So you get your 15 seconds of fame right up there within a minute. Tevin love it. It's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Look, I'm exhausted. I'm going to go chill. But, yo, thank you so much for listening and going on this journey, exploring Los Angeles with me. Two real America, LA American dream stories. That was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.